0: This week on the pod, we have Jeff Hershey. He played in Black Opal, and then he did... He played in No Motive, and then he did Jeff Hershey and the Heartbeats. And then he became the man, the legend, Jarvis Leatherby, and uh, started Night Demon. And uh, they've had success uh, all over the world. And this is actually the first time that Jeff is admitting that Jeff Hershey and Jarvis Leatherby are the same person. So uh, all those English minds, you're blown. What's up? But yeah, the same man that pulled off uh, success as Jeff Hershey in the Heartbeats, as like uh, a soul dude with a fucking sick backup band, went on to do like a new wave of British heavy metal band and fucking smash it out of the park again. This is one of the most talented guys to ever come out of Oxnard, um, who's also never forgotten where he's from. Always gives back, always supports bands, um, always shows lots of love to his friends. And Jeff Hershey is a man. If you want to support this podcast, please like, rate, review, share it, subscribe to it, spread the word about it. Um, Share it with your Facebook friends, your Instagram friends, your grandma, whoever the fuck ever. Just try to get the word out there and spread it. I'm doing it for the love. Also, if you want to go the extra mile, you can go to patreon.com slash 185 miles south. Uh, You can donate a small monthly amount that uh, helps out so I can travel around. And uh, I'm doing some phone interviews now, but I prefer to do everything in person. And uh, to do that, the costs add up. Um, Also, you can donate paypal.me slash 185 miles south. Um, Let's go on with the episode. This is the man, Jeff Hershey.
1: 185 miles south, a hardcore punk rock podcast.
0: Wait, way, you got going to slump down like fucking James, Het, prime James Hetfield. <laughs> sling, it, sling it low.
2: Yo, hey, 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 hey.
0: See, cool. that sounds good. Yeah, oh, all right. All right. We have the mighty, mighty Jeff Hershey today. Uh, legendary Nard dude from Black Opal all the way through Night Demon. Hello, hello. Yeah, dude. So uh let's talk about getting it started. How do we meet? We met. Because you didn't go to NARD High, or you I, did go to I NARD did. High for a year. Yeah. No, I went the whole fucking time. I just never went to school. Yeah, me, and me neither. Yeah. So sorry. No, I went,
2: no, we met uh, my freshman year. So, 95. Okay. You were a sophomore. Okay. And um, yeah, Black Opal was already going. And um, you were doing, uh, I think, uh, It Doesn't Matter with Todd Jones. Yeah. And I remember you telling me, dude, every band needs at least one ska song. And, I, <laughs> and and like seeing how seeing how the two of you guys ended up. Like just trying to be like the hardest dudes. I'll never forget that, dude. You know. I'll never forget that. You had like spiky uh, bleached hair, you yeah, know. Hell yeah. Um and then I think um kind of when we became friends, um you know, I mean uh, so what was the tie-in to St. Bonaventure? Why do I think that? I have no idea. Dave Brandon went there. I think Jeremy – did Jeremy go there?
0: Maybe it's just because I saw Black Opal play St. Bonaventure. No, you saw us at Santa Clara. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, That's Santa Clara High. So the, Doug, Doug, Doug went, went to Santa, Santa Clara. Clara.
2: Okay. Doug And Mike Mall, Mike Mall was at Oxnard, and then he he ended up transferring to Santa Clara. We all kind of grew up in the the private school system, so yeah. I was supposed to go there. Yeah. But um <clears throat> I actually got recruited to go to Oxnard for, for sports, for basketball. For basketball. Yeah. That's Coach sick. Henry Lobo came to my all my tournament games in junior high. Yeah. And uh kind of convinced my parents and I was like, dude, fuck yeah, I want to grow my hair out, you know. Yeah, <laughs> like,
0: because you went to you went to the younger school with like Jeff and Jenna and them, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, those are some of my best friends like early in high school.
2: Yeah, and you know, I mean, it's funny because like the private school thing kind of like made me who i am you know i mean it's it's uh i mean it's a drag to be a kid and where you have to wear a uniform and like have to learn about god and get graded on it you know but i mean really that's kind of what what started it all for me and growing up with the same 20 30 kids your whole life i mean those are friendships that i, I still have you know like there was a tightness there that was really special you know um but yeah mike mall and doug they were all part of that you know yeah, yeah you know i've known them since since i do anybody. You
0: know? Yeah. And you have music in your blood, right? Cause I remember like when black opal started, you would like try to trace a lineage back to like a, a great uncle or something. Right. <laughs> what Didn't you like, well, my great uncle had black opal going. And oh no, 72. no, no, no,
2: no, 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 no. So the story is my dad okay was in a band with Michael Anthony from Van Halen and okay. they were called black opal. Mm. Yeah. And so in 69 in Arcadia, like they won the battle of the bands and that kind of like took off for them. Um, and then my dad ended up doing other things and Mike joined a band called snake. And then he was, uh, he did end up joining Van Halen, but you know, they might, him and my dad stayed tight. And, uh, uh, it's funny. My dad said when, after the first record came out, it was about 78 and they had just gotten off that black Sabbath tour, that legendary tour where they supposedly blew Sabbath away. And he said, Mike bought a house and, uh, he bought a house in Arcadia and all he had, he had a Porsche 911. He had a pinball machine and a huge dispenser of Jack Daniels. That's all he had in the <laughs> house. Yeah, that was great, you know. But yeah, Van Halen's like a huge part of my family story, you know. So, um, so that's where the name came from. And actually, I think we we Black Opal started out uh, as to- we were toxic semen, and then we were propane, but we didn't know about the band Propane. Sure, we spelled it sure, like that, right? Sure. And when we found out about that, you know, pre internet, you know, you go to Salzer's for an Aussie CD and you're like, fuck propane, you know, so then we just, it was just typical. I mean, we just couldn't, we weren't, we were just too self-conscious and not creative enough, I guess. And so we just took the name from my, my dad's band. So
0: that's, uh, that's kind of cool. Adjective. It's pretty noun. cool. Yeah. And it was,
2: it was me, Mike Mall and Doug, the, the first incarnation of the band. And it's funny because now Mike Mall's got a, daughter named opals you know so <laughs>
0: nice tie-in shout yeah. out
2: mike maul yeah but really we were uh i remember we were in the we were in the eighth grade and um we were in religion class and they brought in this like double vhs this this documentary called hell's bells and it was like hey guys you know we need to tell you you know we need to educate you on the you know the music you're listening to and it dude i mean this video was amazing like it so they singled you guys out no, it was the cold class. class. Yeah. So but this video was amazing. This so, changed my just changed our whole lives. Um, you know, they would back mask stairway. They talked about like uh uh Metallica uh fade to black, how it's about suicide, it's gonna make you kill yourself. They back mask priest, um A C D C Hells Bells, all this stuff. So the next day, the the class like everybody in the class, except for me, Mike mall and Doug, they brought all their fucking CDs to school and their cassettes, like rap CDs and everything. And they had a fucking smashing party with hammers. No. Yes. And we were like, what the fuck? Like, this is like, when we found out, we're like, dude, we got to do this. I actually brought a bong to school. The next day I made a bong out of a two liter bottle of seven up, never smoked weed in my life. Didn't know what I was doing, but I was like, dude, this is the key. And that's what started the band. Yeah. That's when we started to learn to play instruments because we were like, this is the shit this is our way out man this stuff is amazing and everybody yeah.
0: else got the satanic panic
2: you know yeah. so uh,
0: so did they like take a photo and send it to tipper gore get it all wet <laughs> dude you know she what? got so I,
2: moist dude i wouldn't be surprised if some kind of pmrc was involved in the background of, of the education system you know i mean i, I you know totally but for us it, it it backfired on them but it saved my life you yeah know? that's for sure so yeah so when do you pick up a guitar um, when I was in the sixth grade, my dad bought me a guitar and an amp, and um, I actually started playing drums in the fourth grade. Mm-hmm. I took lessons from Al Velasquez over at Henson's, mm-hmm. and um, my <laughs> I used to have um, I used to have three cassettes. I had the California Raisins, like
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. Oh, yeah. I had that. I had um, Freedom Rock. You remember Freedom Rock? It was like a big infomercial. Like this hippie dude, Freedom Rock. It was like all around oh, yeah. in the in the lady. So it's 80s. like a compilation. Yeah, totally. But it had like smoke on the water, you know. So like my parents would like when I would stay home alone, they would leave, and I would just crank that song through the stereo and just yeah. start on the drums, you know, just the yeah, you know, it just and then the buildup. it was fucking great, you know. And then the other cassette I had was. Believe it or not, ill repute what happens next. So, my friend Jason good Dexter, luck, good luck
0: playing like that. Yeah, right? My
2: friend Jason Dexter who lived down the street. He was a good friend of mine. His brother Brian was like his older brother was like a skinhead, you know, but like a real skinhead, you know, and a working man, yeah. Like, unfortunately, that shit Warzone was a fan, yeah. And he was part of the skinhead dogs. And it was I always thought it was weird because like they would gather in the streets and you know, before they went out to do crime or whatever, and like. There was, like, Mexican dudes, like, in the gang. And I'm oh. like, like, what the fuck? You mm-hmm. know? Because, I mean, some of these guys were, like, serious white supremacists. So, anyway, that year for Christmas. Oh, they were Nazis. Well, yeah. The bad. They wanna wannabe Nazis. Yeah. So, that year, uh, my parents got me, for Christmas, they got me a Santa Cruz Everslick board with, like, indie trucks and, like, Bones wheels. It was, like, everything that I wanted. Brid- sure. Bridge bolts, all that shit. So, my friend's older skinhead brother, like, wanted to borrow my skateboard, you know? And I wanted to be cool. So, I was like, yeah, dude, totally, you know? So, he never fucking came back with it. So, <laughs> so he ended up, it ended up being, like, in evidence, like, because he beat somebody with it or some shit, you know? And my mom was Jesus. so fucking pissed, and she wanted to go over there and talk to his parents. And I was like, dude, don't do that, please, you know? Like, I'm going to fucking get... Yeah. shit for this you know i'm gonna get my ass killed or kicked you know whatever i'm not killed but you know i just wanted to be cool so um in exchange he gave me like a bunch of tapes yeah. and like and you know my mom went through and was like nope 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 <laughs> and but she didn't see the little repeat tape so i had that and i just thought that was so cool you know, being like uh, 10 years old and th- there was like a song about Oxnard. I couldn't believe it. You know, I was like, what the hell? This is amazing. You know, and I I spent the first year just listening to the one song, just
0: rewinding back track one. You know, how uh, different would your life have been if your mom didn't throw away Voice of Britain? <laughs> 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 yeah, dude, I know. It's kind
2: of it's funny. It's funny how uh, how, you know, tragedies or just just how things you know, as as your life goes on, it's like how,
0: you know, you you are grateful for terrible things that happened in your life. Yeah, you know? thanks to the dude that that caught a beating, so you could get that repute too.
2: Dude, it's it's unbelievable, you know, and just the journey that I've had with that band, you know. With as far as, you know, helping produce the movie than the book that was made on them and, and you know, just uh putting them at the forefront with the told Nardfest thing and, yeah. or Nardstock, I should say, and going through that lawsuit and just all that shit. Like it's and just how close I've become with those guys over the years, Um you know, just things you didn't you don't think about even when you're young, if somebody's local, I mean, they're still like they're still up there, you know, they're still, they had a record out. I mean, they had like, you know, like when you're a kid and you hear the first time you hear somebody play live music and you're just like blown away, like you can't handle it. Like, it's just so like, dude, that's what drums sound like in person. You yeah. know what I'm saying? That's yeah. what a band sounds like yeah. no matter what they're playing, if they're playing yeah. offspring or whatever, it's yeah. just like, it's just amazing. You well, know? we
0: were also lucky that in our teens, like the, the bands around here were really good. Like even though they didn't break out of this area, like burning dog was a serious fucking band, yeah, and they, like you, had their chops so they sounded hard and meaty, you yeah. know, and then no motive, of course, absolutely just blaring speed it's like I mean they're setting the bar really high, absolutely, absolutely, and
2: so we'll get into those
0: all those yeah, too. yeah but, so let's talk about let's talk in, about
2: in order, so I got my get when I was twelve, I got it my dad I switched to guitar, you know, and uh my dad got me a guitar and a little amp and um I had a, I got the Injustice for All tape, and I learned how to play one, and mm-hmm. I was like, okay, you know, and then I, you know, I was really big into sports, so I kind of put it down for a while, like there was nobody to play with. But once the Hell's Bells things happened, me and Mike and Doug were like, dude, we got to do this now. Let's like we just, the we, devil. we have to do this, you know. And so that was the beginning of the school year of eighth grade. In April, it was April twenty eighth, ninety four. We played the St. John's lutheran talent show okay and we played anarchy in the uk nice and um uh, at the end you know i said uh saint john's will be destroyed you know? Like, <laughs> you know people still talk about that that were there you know it's kind of funny but uh uh that's kind of what started the what started the whole thing so um yeah it's it's been my life ever since like i've never not i've never not been in the music industry
0: yeah and so when do you you had like that jarhead dude in Black Oval for a while. That we, was Mike Smith.
2: Yeah. So we met him. Uh, my dad, my dad, my parents split up and my dad had uh, moved like to the east end of Ventura. And uh-huh. like what, you know, they had moved into this brand new housing track and there was this guy that would just play Metallica with his garage <laughs> open. And he was good. You yeah. Know? He was good. And he was a couple years older than us. So was he'd, he? Oh, yeah.
0: He was just small. Oh, yeah. You know. and that's reflected in his attitude as yeah, well. Because when, when you're small and you have that haircut. Oh my god. So like you look like you're fucking 11. Yeah, he
2: ended up joining the military, you know. But well, I, he was
0: destined. Uh,
2: dude, I I got my ass kicked so many times because of that guy. But um
0: uh but yeah, yeah. yeah let's so he tell, was let's he, tell that story. Like let's tell that <laughs> Lemonwood story. Oh
2: dude, do you remember that? Come on.
0: This is good. Hold on. Okay, all right. All right. Yeah. So, cause you and you and that dude were were hanging out, there's like a kickback at some house in Lemonwood, right? It was at Jennifer Serrano's house. Okay. okay. So you guys walked to what, seven eleven to get a, some cigarettes. It wasn't a kickback, it was
2: like a fucking gig. Like, okay. it was like, you know, the party gigs that we would do. But did do. you play? Yeah. Okay, I don't remember playing. I why just remember I, hanging out. No, we fucking played okay. in her house. Okay. And we went to 7-Eleven down the street. So you got to go Lemonwood to Diamond Bar. Yeah. You know, like the worst areas of, of of South Oxnard at the time. And we went to the 7-Eleven. Me and Doug were there. And Mike was with this girl, Jasmine, I remember. And they kind of like left before started walking down the street. So, you know, uh, we're, we're walking down the street, and I'm fucking hammered drunk. Yeah. right? And we see these fucking huge, huge dudes bring this guy out into the street and just start beating the fuck out of him. And Doug runs, and he's, he's yelling at me, run, run, <laughs> run, run, run. And I'm just not running because I'm like— what the going hell's up? going on? Yeah, what's going on? So I walk up to one of these dudes, and I'm like, what's happening? And he's like, you want some, motherfucker? And he just <laughs> reeled back and swung. And he hit me so hard, dude. I felt like... T- five feet back in this ice plant. And I remember I couldn't open my eye for two weeks. Dude. Yeah. I couldn't open my eye. It was so swollen. I think I remember driving you guys home that night. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, dude, that was one of those stories, but, but it was, was yeah. it was because that dude, it he was, was oh, so he was, he was, he what was he tr- was doing was as he was walking down the street with this girl, Every car he would see, he would check the door handle yeah, and open right. it up. Yeah. Sure enough, what car was open and these ex-cons come out
0: of this house, <laughs>
2: yeah. you know, the neighbors are coming out, backing, backing yeah. them up. And you Well, know, because you're
0: trying to get into every car in the neighborhood. Yeah, he got fucked up pretty bad. Yeah, he bad. got fucked up got real fucked, bad. I mean, I
2: got pretty, I mean, I got one hit that was like the hit of the century, you yeah. know, but like, you know, Frazier goes down, like, yeah. but he got like, you know, his nose he was broken. Stomped. I mean, I kind of I didn't recognize him after, you know, yeah. uh, but you know, he had it coming. So. But he, he
0: he knew how to shred. So that was cool. What? But he knew how to shred, so that was cool.
2: Yeah, but he didn't have a lot of musicality. He just had the he had the uh, you know, he had the motor skills to do it, but
0: Yeah, he's fuck one of those. That, well, I know. mean, we've always come across those guys, right? That are like the the bedroom shredders but can't play rhythm.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, but even still though, just 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 musicality, you know? Like there's there's in control solos that are better than any solo he ever
0: did. Just gotcha. because
2: of the melody and the sense of you goddamn of right <laughs> You're
0: goddamn right
2: so anyway so yeah so band started at that and then you know we get into high school and um that's kind of where we met all you guys you know i i had it it's funny because the other night you know you and i had met up at iron maiden yeah. and uh max was there and max was like oh my god this is fucking unreal how many people are here i've never been in a fucking like a, a venue like this and yeah. you know and I'm like, dude, I fucking, I probably went to like thirty of those before I went to my first punk show. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. in reverse for him. You know, no,
0: I mean that was that was his first big rock show, and he was like mind blown. But man, what a great first one, right? I, I mean, mean, dude, you couldn't ask for anything better. In my opinion, you know, He text me. He
2: texts me the other day. He's all, man, I kind of feel like a poser, like not knowing all the words, like you guys. And I go, dude, it's my favorite
0: band. Yeah. You know, I mean, you yeah, know. dude. I mean, cause, yeah. I mean, you look at another band like. Like I like Judas Priest, but if I went, I wouldn't know all the words. Like, right, written, totally, you know, totally. And it's like whatever, Max. You like just have a good time, and Max. that shit was so tight because, dude, our seats they were like <laughs> they were cool, whatever but we were like right behind some dude that like straight up had a dispensary in his pocket dude i couldn't believe how many joints just kept coming dude I know. you know
2: like every two songs like new joint like what up when somebody like me says has to say no it's <laughs> like I'm like i'm like what is happening <laughs> dude yeah. you know like cuz i've never you know i've never i don't know my limits that's why i don't drink anymore you know yeah. but but shout, uh, shout out to that guy straight up american hero yeah, if right? you're listening right <laughs> <laughs> but no um you know nothing brings people together like a good concert you know so but anyway so yeah when we we got into high school that's when i started actually going to smaller shows Mm -hmm. um and i met all you guys and um you know joe revis was really instrumental as like you know it's funny because he was he's a totally different guy now than he was then he was a lot younger he was he was definitely drinking and doing some drugs um, but it was funny because I'd go to shows and he'd be like skateboarding with his shirt off in the venue before people got in, just fucking circling around the place. Yeah. And he would always be cool, you know,
0: come up to us. He and, was always and, the nicest. Yeah, so, I mean like, him, him, and him and Fred.
2: Yeah, right. And so uh, and Ray Crevice, I you know like I know, you know, uh, you know, Ray's had an interesting life, but like he, you know, so those guys, you know. um, it is somebody. like, like so. Ray, Ray, and John C were the same age. I think like when when we were like sixteen, they were like twenty three. I mean, I remember going to a lot of shows with you, and like you know, John C would always buy us beer. You know, the Mickey's grenades and shit. You know, like <laughs> it, it was great. But Ray was like that guy for me because, you know, I wasn't an outcast by any means, man. Like I played sports, I was highly popular in school, and and you know, I had my own thing. But I was definitely an individual. And the thing is, there was no metal scene. So it was like you had a death metal band in Crevice and then yeah. you had us. And, you know, we got a lot of respect from you guys um, uh, for our musicianship and whatever, you know? I think. Well, uh, even
0: for being like younger, dumb kids like we were, it was like if you're a friend in a band, like same thing with like the Whereabouts and Kelp, right? Oh, well, dude, like, Whereabouts and Black Opal played more shows together than any bands you know and we were just
2: so different from everybody and we were not similar you know but for a while we it took us it took us a while to break into the scene and be accepted by you know the punk thing was just it was really the new school punk thing especially was just really trendy and it was really big like chicks liked it you know it was just that it was that's what was happening you know it was the bridge between like uh you know i mean i was listening to like Cro-Mags and like agnostic front and that was my punk shit you know and like but that was a new school punk for 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 people that that weren't really into music that and that weren't into hard shit it was the bridge between like you know chromags and sublime you know yeah, yeah, yeah. so it was listenable there were songs you know um but but yeah so so um you know when when we all kind of kind of got together and and started having that kind of diversity. I think it was really good. You know, I think it was a really healthy thing. And the punk rock thing definitely rubbed off on on all of us. I mean, even people listen to Night Demon
0: today and they're like, oh, there's something like very punk about it. It's like... Well, well people say that about the first couple Iron Maiden records, right? Oh, definitely. Even, even though Steve, Steve Harris, Steve Harris is like long. so against it. And because, he'll deny it all day long. Yeah, because he'll be like, oh, that punk shit, they don't care about playing their instruments. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, they're very like serious. Yeah, but without punk and without just the DIY ethic that was coming out of the UK... Not the Sex
2: Pistols. Sex Pistols were a very manufactured band, sure. but but you know once the Ramones came over there
0: and, and toured and and but even even the Sex Pistols being a manufactured band, they're still playing stripped down songs that yeah. a, that a thirteen year old can hear and be like, oh, I can actually do this. It's and, so different and, than listening to like the Who, right? And it's like, hey, where do I fucking start?
2: Right. But I see. I mean, you, you're saying yourself, you, about, you
0: covered you covered uh, of course. Anarchy but, but, in the well, that's because Megadeth
2: did it. <laughs> but <laughs> we did their version, <laughs> yeah. So, but I did
0: wear a Misfits shirt. Could have done no more, Mister Nice Guy. Dude, that, their their version of that is great. <laughs>
2: yeah, right. <laughs> Dave, Dave, all propped up on heroin, in that video. <laughs>
0: yeah, no more Mister Nice Guy. <laughs> no more Mister Nice Guy. But uh,
2: but yeah, you know, with with regards to to. Um, to all that. I kinda lost my train of thought. Oh yeah, but with the with the punk thing, you know, with Maiden, I think it was like they were still very much into musicianship. They were from come from you know, they were into bands like Deep Purple and Wishbone Ash and stuff. And I think they didn't respect the punks because of not playing their instruments. But dude, I think the vibe of punk and the 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 excitement of the youth that had to carry over to what they were doing, of course, and especially I think Paul Diano brought a lot of the punk element in with of his course. vocal style and his his fashion, you yeah. know, right? Yep. So, um, but uh, but yeah, it's 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 well, really it's just interesting. infectious.
0: You can't you can't avoid it, and especially coming from a spot like Oxnard, where it's so like ingrained. There's there's no avoiding it. Doesn't matter what style of music you do. It's, I mean it's there's no avoiding you, it. Yeah, because like even you have like, you know, kind of the more like dark wave bands, they're still like tinged in punk. Everything everything that touches is Absolutely. tinged in punk. It's you funny know?
2: because I was like like I said, like when I was younger and I had gotten into like Chrome mags and stuff, um like I was into the John Joseph era and like you know, you're at a record store, I mean that's just the first record I got from them, so it was what it was, you know. I didn't know about, the, yeah. you know, like Harley doing stuff on his own or, or any of that stuff. But um, even like, you know, my fir- the first TSOL record I bought was like a later record, mm-hmm. and it was like, okay, like there's a crossover here. I think when we were in high school, the thing that really bridged the gap between like you and I or or all of the, the two scenes was that first Hatebreed record. Mm. You know, when that thing came out, it was like. Fuck, okay, you guys were way into it, and I was like, dude, this to me is like, like, derivative of like Sepultura, you know? Yeah, yeah. well, it was, it was through yeah. Sepultura and, yeah, and, and that's, uh, still my, that's still my favorite record, and I tell Jamie that when I see him, you know, like, that's still like, and they they toured on that fucker for like, you five know, years. five years on a 30 minute album, you yeah. know? Like, uh, no,
0: it's the best record,
2: yeah. Perseverance it's, is pretty good, but well, they're all good, but his like, vocal, his vocal sound. Then
0: was so fucking hard, dude. Well, the ly- the lyrics on Satisfaction are amazing. Yeah, it's, it's, they're it's amazing. Right. like you know? the whole record is great except for the layout.
2: Yeah, but you know, it was very hardcore at the time, dude. Oh you know what I'm no, saying? it was very. <laughs> yeah. That layout was
0: very <laughs> it was very ninety seven. <laughs> very
2: Victory Records, dude, yeah. You know, very 97. yeah. But um, but yeah. So um, so yeah. yeah that that's uh, that's kind of the
0: uh. That was the glue, you think, between. I, I, you I and
2: definitely us. think so, man.
0: Because I, well, you're also open minded. You're yeah. down to drive. Oh, you know. dude,
2: I have a. Actually, funny. I have some. I have something here. I'd like you to sign. Oh, okay. <laughs> My uh, stand your ground
0: seven inch. Oh, I actually played on that one, and yeah. you were the, you were there that night.
2: I was. I remember. So the story is is that you guys had no fucking gear. <laughs> Tony didn't even have drums. So how? You, I don't know, but you used all Black Opal's gear, and I took my mom's van, and I, we drove to for the record in Orange. It was Paul um, Miner after school, and we, you guys tracked the whole fucking thing overnight. Nobody slept. And then I remember uh everybody wanting to get to school and I drove <laughs> I drove us back to Nard High. We got there right before like first period. And uh everybody like went to class and I was like, What the fuck? I'm not going to fucking school. And I remember going <laughs> like driving to the beach and sleeping in the car because because, you know, I didn't want my mom to know I skipped school. But that's kinda like when I knew. I was like, these guys are serious about education and like i'm not and that's why i didn't
0: finish high school i guess you know but
2: there was a well i
0: finished at silver strand high Independ- independent study fool i don't remember that yeah well you were probably already gone right no because you were a year ahead of me that's right but anyway yeah no i ended
2: up um leaving school to go on tour with the we'll sign it wife. after we'll get a nice pen yeah yeah anyway but that one's here's six the what what let's yeah. see
0: there's three versions let me
2: I think that I got that one on Discogs. It's because you guys never even gave me a
0: fucking copy of it. (laughs) Well, that's fucked up. I think I got some. I would give you one, dude.
2: That's cool.
0: But I think Jitsu probably didn't give us that many because this is actually on a label. Is it really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, right. So and and that dude, like you know, it's hard to remember. But I think that like at that time, that guy like went to every show too. So it's like he might have shown up and just been selling them for us. It wasn't like he gave us a stack. Okay. He he didn't give us a stack of fifty. Right. Right. Because I think I got like records that were personal for me right because i got one on green one on pink, i remember like, when i was
2: when i started promoting shows and i brought some hardcore bands to oxnard and then i had i was having like um in control support the shows right when you guys first started mm-hmm. and i remember actually i had stand your ground actually do do uh open for uh who was it shutdown or uh
0: maybe uh god straight faced maybe yeah. it was it might have been before I was in the Yeah, band but I remember too. asking
2: you for a 7 inch you're like dude I don't even have any. I was yeah. like what the fuck, you know. But um but anyway, yeah, uh I got a couple a couple <laughs> a couple cool things here that might might maybe bring back some memories. Okay. Here's a Here's an old numbskull flyer, like their old strip ad. Uh Uh, Well, it's funny. Here's a show with shut down Crevice and Black Opal. Oh, that's sick. (laughs) um, Was that Living Room? Yeah. Um, Ensign, Eyelid, Missing 23rd, Adamantium. Dude, those guys were great. I remember. Bill and Colin, Ill Repute. But here's this show I remember at the top. This one. This Good Riddance, AFI, By the Grace of God, and Creep Division. Um, It wasn't that, that was at like the Sniffy's. It was, which was next door to the living
0: room. It's kind of funny. Living room had shut down and they opened Sniffy's right next door. But also, Sniffy's had like a bigger capacity, maybe. Because it was like, yeah, yeah. because it was was like a, well, it was, and it was an actual square. Right. Because that third living room was like, or actually, that was the second living room? It was the second living room off Fairview. It was kind of like a triangle. The
2: first one was off Hollister, I think.
0: Yeah. But no, I remember that show, that was like one of the greatest. Nights of my life man. And that's I mean, the one that Was that the one that was The show was so hot Good Rins took like An intermission Yeah dude It was fucking like ridiculous It took like dude. a 15 minute dude, intermission like
2: Luke couldn't even Like like
0: his hands were everywhere But it, I remember i would fallen in
2: love With AFI that night Like I had I had like one of the Seven inches you know mm-hmm. And it covered a Cure song And a Misfit song I thought that was pretty cool But like when I saw them I was like Fuck man this band could be really, really good. Yeah, and it was right after that that they put out
0: um, Black Sales, and I was like, "Here we go!" You know, that was like, a transitional yeah, record,
2: absolutely, because those yeah. first couple. Well,
0: the like, very proud of you is like a breakthrough. Is like, oh, yeah. we're like a legit, like, you know, new era punk band. You
2: know, though, it's
0: just kind of like.
2: And no offense to, you know, um, our scene or or anything like that. Like, I think when bands break out of the localized thing, I mean, they were doing like the East Bay thing for a long time. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when bands break out of that kind of thing where they're trying not to, they have a broader vision than just being like a local hero, Mm -hmm. you know, I think the creativity... It's it has no boundaries anymore, you know, and I think that was really good for a band like that. Yeah, no, it definitely worked for them. You know, Um, I think it was good for bands like Rancid, you know. Um, And it's kind of funny because Lars is like a super big Night Demon fan, and like you know, he comes to gigs and like you know, he sends me records and stuff,
0: and like it's just weird. Like I would never have thought. Well, he's low key (laughs) one of the greatest American songwriters, dude. It's unbelievable. Like the stuff they still like put out is like even if you're not going to ride for the whole record, it's like, this guy's still like channeling hits. It's crazy, you know, it's crazy. And And he's so prolific. I'm so, I'm so jealous of that. Uh, that way of thinking. You get some singer songwriters that's like any idea they have, they just put it down mm-hmm. and move on. Mm-hmm. Right? He's not nurturing any track. No, fuck. It's me. like it's coming. I'm putting it out and moving on.
2: Yeah, and he's got this other band, the Old Firm Casuals. Like yep. they're awesome kind of oi band, but like they're kind
0: of like AC/DC too. But they and know? they've put out a lot of material too. Again. Yeah,
2: and he's like when he's not, I mean, he's always playing and touring and doing whatever. He doesn't care. He'll play. He'll play at a fucking bar with yeah. his band, and then he'll. Go headline, you know, at a festival, you know, because Rancid's part of the big four, what I consider the big four of punk these days. Bad religion, no effects, Rancid and the Offspring. Okay. Um, well, you know, it's kind of funny. Actually, I would put offspring with Green Day in a whole nother kind of category. Right. Yeah. I would yeah, say yeah. my fourth would probably be then the descendants, you know. Okay. But you you know what I'm saying? You're always gonna have those those four bands that are always going to headline the festivals, you know, like there's no other band that's broken through like those guys or had that kind of longevity. It's kind of sad to be honest, you know? Um, But I don't really see anybody crossing that line in punk these days, you know? And it's weird. There's no labels anymore. There's no money in punk. It's kind of cool. It's kind of gone back to the way it started where it's like the best, you know, like out of trust did a new record and Joe and, and Joe was like, Hey man, can you like, can you, help us out and, and try and try and get this thing picked up. And, you know, I've called a lot of, you know, my good friend, Mike Gitter, you know, who signed Bad Religion in the majors to the, you know, in the, in the early nineties and Mm -hmm. stuff. And he's just like, dude, there's nothing. It's like, you know, even Fat Mike, he like loses money every year on fat, you know, but it's like, it's kind of cool. It's kind of gone back to the bands. It's like, if you want to put out a record, then you can do that now, you know, and you could then, but it's you're not fighting the uphill battle like Greg Ginn and
0: trying to get distribution and all this stuff, you know? So well, if you you think about it, if you have a recording and you want to put it out, right. It's like, you know, a band has four members and it's like, I kind of like sometimes that there's a barrier to entry, right? Like if you want to put out your LP, it costs $2,000 to make 500, have each guy chip in 500 bucks. And maybe if like, and whatever, you have to save up four months. You have to save up however much time. If you really want to do it, you can do it, right? And like, I kind of like that. There's like a little barrier to entry, like that. You know, like well, if you're I'm, serious about your band, yeah. just put it out. I mean, because I'll tell like, you I've this: put out, yeah. I've put out plenty of my own shit.
2: I mean, the same. That's what happened with Night Team, so like the same thing is like if you create your own story and don't have any expectations, like on if anybody likes it or not, and you don't care. If you've got something good going on, they're all gonna come knocking at the door. Labels don't have the money or the resources, or the, the time anymore to develop bands. Yeah, and I think know?
0: especially if you show the wherewithal to do it yourself first, right? Like yeah, oh, the f- dude, absolutely. The first thing you troll 7-inch, I put it out. I didn't even try to find anyone to do it. Same with, like, the first Somali, right? And it's like, I have it, that it just too. shows that you're a little serious, you know? Yeah. And then people are more, like, they're more open to working with you because they're like, oh, these guys are, they're moving anyway, yeah you know I can like help them and give them a nudge but yeah. I'm not gonna have to fucking save this band right no exactly. one wants to put out a band that's not gonna do shit exactly you know exactly so. that's
2: total major label thinking you know and us being on a major now we have to deal with a lot of bullshit like that sometimes you know yeah. um, but uh but anyway let's uh we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here back to the
0: uh high school
2: uh Black Opal days. Well, did stuff. Black Opal ever record? <laughs> we have a lot of recordings, dude. But did you ever record, like, semi-professionally? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but you never put out, like, a legit We'd demo or anything? never put anything out, yeah. Why was that? Because we just weren't stoked on it. Yeah. You know? But I have them. I have everything. And uh, But it, that would have helped. It would have helped. But we weren't ready, dude. We were not ready for it, dude. You know? And but that's I, why it's
0: a demonstration.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, we, we always thought we could do better, you yeah. know? and um. Uh, That's called the third LP.
1: (laughs) You know, (laughs) put out your
2: fucking demo, fool. Nah, you know what? I I nineteen is my thirty sixth (sighs) band, and I I hit it off the bat right out right away. It's gold right away. So like you know, your first your first has to be your best. Yeah, you know. Um, uh, Okay, so (laughs) this is pretty cool here. What I have here. So actually, for the listeners who don't know, Zach was a very prolific writer when we were kids. Uh, and I have some excerpts here from some zines. Uh, this oh, one God. is, God, I don't
0: even know what this zine is right here. Um, this, this, uh, but this the is, marker is at 3337. So <laughs> I can edit this
2: out. <laughs> no, this is, a, uh, actually, this one just says Nardcore. And it's funny, this Nardcore logo, and it's got a little, little coffee thing here. And it says Oxnard, California and surrounding areas by Zach. What so the you fuck? Were, you were a contributor in some zine here. But anyway, so, um,
1: what Here, I'll just, I'll just
2: read. It's very short, but I'll just oh, read. Yeah. It's great, too, because it's like, it's like your scene report. So, hi there. From the land of no toilets, Oxnard, California. Well, the glory days of the past are over, and there are only a few remaining bands, which is in some ways good, but in some ways bad. We all know each other and are friends, but local shows have been hard to come by recently. Voice of Defiance is a hardcore band that sort of sounds like a mix between Mouthpiece and Chain of Strength. They which is you <laughs> have, have a, have a seven inch out on pious records called Oxnard hardcore pride. And I actually have that here today. And I want to thank you for um, making the, th- I made the thank you list in that the very short thank you
0: list. Yeah. You, you know, <laughs> I'll, you want to, uh, let me talk about the thank you list real quick. So uh, I think Phil at the time was like religious. Seems like I want to thank God. And I was like, <laughs> dude, I don't want to thank God on the record. And then like me and Tony were arguing with him and shit. And we're like, okay, I'll tell you what, well, thank God, but he gets like a normal spot in the thanks list.
1: <laughs> so God's like the
0: number of like the 40th is like, thanks to Bill, Sam, Jay, God, Jenny, this Samantha. <laughs> oh, hilarious. Uh, so it keeps going.
2: Uh, it's $3. Postage paid. Shirts soon. This is good. So then you go on here. No motive is one of the tightest bands I've ever seen. Imagine a mix between Ignite and Good Riddance. You never walk away from a No Motor Show disappointed. They have two seven inches, a CD, shirts, hoodies, demos, and everything you can think of out. And if you don't have it, if you don't have it all, you're missing out. Capital letters there. Uh, Down for the count. We don't need to talk about them. Uh, Choked Out (laughs) is a sick hardcore band with mad fast parts and the hardest breakdowns you can imagine. Demo out now. here we go Black Opal sounds like Metallica and have good original songs they do their own thing and should be respected for that demo out soon yeah that didn't happen (laughs) Crevice is a slow metal band (laughs) but let's be thankful they aren't claiming hardcore (laughs) (laughs) they have a big local following but have never put anything out well hopefully soon yeah they never did either and then at the end here Missing 23rd finished their West Coast tour and it was a huge success they're going into the studio to blah 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 cuts off there.
0: But anyway, you know, that wasn't I, a knock on Crevice, by the way. That was a knock on like '90s hardcore. Yeah, you know, it's well. Hey, look, I got, a, I got, I got a lot of
2: shit from the hardcore guys about being metal all the fucking time. It was always a joke, you know. No. I mean, for me, it wasn't a joke, you know. No,
0: it's because there was a lot of like those slow, boring metal bands in the '90s that were like, "This oh, is hardcore." Ton of, and it's like at least Crevice was like, "We're ton a fucking
2: metal band." Yeah. But there were some good crossover bands, you know, Downset, bands like
0: that. uh, No, there was plenty of, there's plenty of, I mean, there's Earth Crisis. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of good metal hardcore bands. The other VOD. Yeah. Yeah, 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 the Long Island VOD.
2: You know? There's plenty. Um, Here's, okay, here's another one. Land of the Toilets by Mr. Oxnard. Do you remember going by this name, Mr. Oxnard? I don't know what it is. (laughs) What is this? Uh, it's another like it's scene a diff- report? It's a dip from a different zine, yeah. And this is all uh, for, like on a typewriter here. Um, I'll, it's a little faded here. I'll try and read the intro, though. Greetings from Oxnard. The land's 60 miles north of hell. The air is getting cooler, and the surf is getting bigger. Winter is coming. That's good. I don't have much to say this issue, but I wanted to give a little scene report on some of the bands in this area. In the early to mid-'80s, the Oxnard area was a booming mecca for punk rock and hardcore bands. But those glory days of the past are over. You claim this again, that these are like the dark ages. Um, kids are more concerned these days with writing nardcore on their backpack and binder or binder than going to shows. Doing a zine, starting a band, etc., Still, there are a few of us who fight to pull through these desolate times. <laughs> there, there is finally one club in Oxnard. It's a laser tag place that started throwing shows. At first, it was awesome, but now security won't let you dance, dive, or climb <laughs> or climb on people. So the club is starting to suck. On the positive side, it gives newer local bands a chance to play and get some experience on stage. As of now... Most of our shows still take place at the living room in Goleta, which is about 40 miles north of here. It is an awesome club that has run well. The sound man, John Lyons, oh <laughs> fuck, John Lyons, um, also does good recordings for cheap. There are a handful of bands left in Oxnard and the surrounding areas. And then you do a, another report here. No motive has been around for a few years, blah, blah. blah. You kind of say the same thing. Yeah. Voice of defiance kind of say the same thing. What do you say about black opals in here too? is it <laughs> <laughs> it's a you kind of say it's a good metal band that sounds like old Metallica. These guys are talented and will always play a cover too if you request it. Uh Burning Dog, here you go. Burning Dog is an awesome band who are hard to describe. They they blend punk, hardcore, and metal in a way that it doesn't sound awkward or cheesy. I they have so like I yeah, I think still think we have that same stance today, you know. So that's yeah. kind of cool, you
0: know, to like to kind of look back at, at stuff. That's that, so uh, funny, like talking about the early laser star, because what that is, is that's before we came in and totally took over. Well, so we were re- like, we're yeah. like, we're not going to like get defeated on this so, one. So listen, let's let's get into that. So, um, w- you
2: know, what you said there about security sucking. I remember in the stand your ground demo era, Um, I see in high school I was perpetually grounded. OK, okay. so I was just always getting into trouble. And on weekends, I just was landlocked, you know, and I would have to sneak out to go to a show a lot if I, you know, but what I would do is I just sit at home and play guitar, you know, and I would like learn songs that our friends did, you know, so I I pretty much knew the SYG demo. And I remember. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And I actually have two copies
0: of the first cassette here.
2: I don't know if you have. Did you know that there's alternate colors of the cover?
0: i actually did know that i only have the maroon one now you have the blue one. Oh, how about that there you go <laughs> shout, shout out cory on well you
2: got yeah cory man i haven't seen cory in years god bless cory but yeah. like i um he's doing good there dude. you go that's in good hands you you, yeah. you have the narcore museum so you need that um oh, yeah. but anyway there was one there was one show that they played i think it might have been just a second syg show and uh Todd was fucking having a problem with the security Roughing up the people and so Todd put down His guitar his white SG And he put up his fists (laughs) Like let's go to the security guy the other security guy came around, they're all nope, and they just kind of grabbed him and took him outside. Yeah. So Belcher's like, Well, what the fuck? Now we have no other guitar second guitar player. So I just I got up there. There was two songs left in the set, one of them I knew. Okay. But it was great, man. And I was just like, Oh, this is cool, man. You like, finish I the never set? thought I did. I finished the oh, set. So cool. I totally butchered one of the songs. Yeah. But like, and I didn't even ask. I just went up there and picked up his guitar. Yeah. It's like cool, you know. Um, yeah, they're probably like, oh, "Well, Hershey's competent. Yeah, he yeah, same.
0: totally." But um, so, do you remember Marie Lamar? I don't. But we should say that Todd did set, successfully sock several of the security oh, guards. Oh no, so shit! Yeah, of course,
2: dude. <laughs>
0: of course, because I remember back in in my zine, actually, what one, yeah, no, that was the one we did together. That was I think in
2: uh, something Time beyond Me-
0: something. No, that was Aaron and Todd. Oh, uh, I have
2: that one here. too. Yeah,
0: I think it was. I think it was in my always try fan zine. Like, I was interviewing Standard Ground before I was in it. And, like, so, like Aaron was like, I like all the shows where Todd socks someone. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's your favorite show? Oh, the one where Todd socks someone. Oh, is that the This Laser Star show or that Laser Star? Yeah, why? Well, it's like them all. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but, yeah, so Marie Lamar was the crazy woman that was putting on the gigs. There. Okay,
0: she was that weird middle person. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. So, dude,
2: I got super tight with her because I just wanted to play. Right. And pretty much backfired on me though. She got really, really, really weird, and she would invite me over to her house, and she would give me alcohol and shit. Yeah, and like you know, middle of the day on a Saturday, she's like pushing fifty, I'm fucking sixteen, you know. But the crazy thing, but she, she had was this, not
0: unattractive. No, no,
2: no. But 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 shit did you know almost go down once, and I was kind of like you know I pussied out, and yeah. you know. Um, but, whatever, you know, I had a girlfriend at the time, too, so i wasn't I wasn't about it, but shout out Kristen uh, <laughs> shout out Kristen Graham uh but um uh, it was interesting because she showed me this photo album that she had had for years, and dude, I shit you not there's pictures of her when she was younger. Like she looked great, and dude, she's hanging out with fucking Jim Morrison, Jimi Hendrix. No, I'm not fucking kidding you. The guys from the Dead, yeah. Like, and all through the '70s, dude, New York Dolls, yeah. Uh, um, Like she's got, she had a picture of her, like, like biting Johnny Thunder's nipple. Like it's just crazy, like shit. And I go, wow. She's kind of legit, but she was definitely a burnout. She was a whack job. Like She had some things going on. At one time, she asked if Black Opal wanted to be on TV, and we're like, fuck yeah. Yeah. So she's like, okay, cool. Here's the address of the studio. And so we drive down to Crenshaw. Okay. Okay. I saw photos of this. And we're like, whoa, dude, where the fuck are we? You know? Oh, you're a
0: block away from the smell. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Which is still there. Um, Or no, Club Bullocks. Okay. Club Bullocks was gnarly. Um, But... So it turned out to be
2: a public access studio, sick. And she was part of the whole thing, doing this variety show with awesome. these. Like, and it was it was terrible though, dude. We That's played, so cool though. yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah, those were interesting times. It was cool to have. Well, she was weird. She was just like a middleman, like pulling the cut. So she was she she knew that that she had actually worked for George Thompson, the diamond company, okay. right, and the tower, one of the, t- yeah. the small tower, yeah. And she was tight with John, the guy who owned Laser Star, who was always—I always thought was kind of a weirdo, you know. Um, but so, anyway, she was the talent producer there, you know, and that's kind of how things came about. And um, somebody wrote about Black Opal in the newspaper when we played Santa Clara Fiesta, and kind of slammed me a little bit. They, 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 um, they uh, wrote about you know how good I was at guitar, but slammed my vocals, and they were right, you know. Um, she somehow read that and found all these bands and hit us up, and I don't know how because there's no social media, there's no internet then, really, you know that we were using at least. Um, but that's how that 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 whole thing came about. But um, but no, those were good. Those are,
0: I mean, yeah. And eventually we weeded her out because I started working at Laser Star. I remember that. Dude. So and then I started doing like yeah, I got a job there. We weeded her out, so there was no one pulling like all this middle money out. And then you know, I was doing security too.
2: You know what kind of always tripped me out. Like, no offense, but I got to call you out on this. Like, you were always, like, way smarter than a lot of us (laughs) and seemed a lot more disciplined. But you always kind of had shitty jobs. Well,
0: what are you supposed to do when you're, like, fucking 18? No, but, like, you worked at the sandwich place. You worked at the
2: coffee place. I know, but that was... You worked at a fucking... At Pat Holden's. Like... You just, we, I just always thought you would like end up getting a PhD and like fucking,
0: I well, mean, you're, you're slamming now. Well, we started, we started uh, doing In Control and touring. So, like, what job can you have that That's, lets you leave for a month, you know? Unless you're gonna take offense and you work at no, Max, and Unless you're gonna take offense and work at Max Woodco. Yeah. And you take off three months of fucking year. <laughs> Oh.
1: Shout
0: out, calling him out, <laughs> calling him out, dude. No, nah, but but that's why. So like yeah, I worked at like Togo's for like three fucking years. Yeah. But like now it's good. Like now it's like
2: kind of the same like you know, I didn't finish high school, but you know, I'm better off than most people that did, you know, it's like like following your passion and,
0: like, running your own business. I mean, you're meant for that, you know? Yeah, like, well, when In-Control... You're not a
2: guy that needs a boss, dude.
0: No, no, no. When In-Control slowed down, like, the final year, I got, like, a real job. I started working at. No, Jet- no, that's... Yeah. I started working at Jettis with, like, a bunch of hardcore dudes. Like, Corey was there. I think Dennis was there. Uh, The bass player, Strife, was there. Like... Andy Klein? Well, oh, no, he was the guitar player. What oh, right? the fuck was his name? I can't remember. Yeah, Andrew's the guitarist. Chad. Okay, Chad. Chad right, was right, the bass player. Right. And then, like, uh, Corey's good friend George was there. Like, just a bunch of hardcore dudes. Mm-hmm. And that was, like, kind of the start of my career. I, Because uh, I used to do that credit card fraud shit.
2: Right, right. I remember that. And yeah. then you went into, like, travel agencies and stuff yeah, like that. And that was,
0: yeah, and, and I was still doing, like, I ran all the credit card fraud shit there, too. Because that's such an easy one in travel. Because, you know, like people book third party travel all the time mm-hmm. you know i would buy you an airline ticket but it's so easy to steal someone's credit card and then book yourself a airline ticket of course you know that is it's like the easiest fraud there is right right but you know that's not fulfilling work like it's better no, now no, no, with like no. doing what you're doing now you know i mean it's just no i had a fun run i mean it was fun opening up uh like a call center in in tijuana didn't you go to india
2: too to do something like yeah, that
0: yeah i spent a month in india that was cool i, I guess that, yeah but uh,
2: enough about me. Okay, dude. sorry. Yeah. Well, you know, nobody talks about you. On yeah, the pod, I, I had a
0: so. uh, yeah, I had a lot of shitty jobs. My worst job ever was selling art on the street because there was like uh, there was a time where I couldn't live at home anymore, and everyone in Nard lived at home, so I couldn't get a roommate here. So I moved to North Hollywood. I lived with one of the guys oh, from Scare fuck, Tactic and a couple that. other guys. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I remember that.
0: And this time, it was like between and control tours. So I was working at Togo's, and neither one would give you over thirty hours because then they have to give you benefits. So I was working at two different Togos, doing 25 hours at each one, making 7 bucks an hour. And were, fucking, you know, just so I could, like, have money and survive in between tours. Right. And, like, yeah, I was looking through the fucking paper, and there was, like, the ads, know, on the want ads. This is, like, kind of, it's before high-speed internet and shit. And it was like, do you have a rock and roll attitude? Do you want to make a lot of money? I was like, fuck yes and fuck yes. So I go, <laughs> I go down to this place. And it's, like, a legit, like, fucking office. And I go in and do an interview, like, whatever, knock it out of the park. They're, like, okay, show up tomorrow. And I show up the next day, and I walk into the same office, and they're, like, what are you doing here? I was, like, well, I got hired. They told me to show up. They're, like, oh, no, you got to go around back. And I was, like, oh, shit. So I walk into this fucking warehouse, and there's just, like, all this, like, reproduced art, like, everywhere. And, like, I was, like, oh, shit. And there was, like, probably 20 people there, and we're in a circle. And it was, like, you start this, like, coaching class, like, you're selling Because what you do is you take these like, you take out however much art you want and you can carry in your car, and you just walk into businesses and try to sell it. And so like your first day, they sent me out with this fucking, this dude's like a nine out of ten, like forty five year old Italian dude with like a nice ponytail, fucking beautiful man. (laughs) He's a beautiful man with a beautiful voice, (laughs) like
2: a good diehard villain. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally.
0: (laughs) But friendly and like a smile that'll light up a room. And uh, we go out to somewhere, kind of like. I don't know, maybe like west of Pasadena or something. And we go into all these fucking spots. And and what it is is I think you sell the art for maybe 40 bucks and you keep 20 and you give the place 20 or something. And I went out with this motherfucker and he sold. Two, he sold 20 pieces Five. because he'd walk into these businesses and just be like oh he's like we just got done furnishing the law office down the street and we have these extras like you know are you interested they're only 40 bucks and like they were nice dude like right. they were legitimately nice he's like it's not just a piece of art This is a masterpiece <laughs> and people would be like oh shit give me four right. you know because like you just go into those shitty offices and shit I was like oh my god this, this guy just made fucking 400 bucks in a day that's like my two week paycheck right. for one Togo's <laughs> right, you know right I was like I can I'll do anything to make this much money, you know? So I go out the next day just go like into the valley somewhere like off like what's the main road in the valley? Uh Ventura Boulevard Yeah, or, just yeah. somewhere off Ventura yeah. Boulevard. I walk in the first place they're just like get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I'm like, ah, shit." And then like, you know, go to the next place they're like, "What the fuck do you want?" And it was yeah. like, "Get out." And I was like, "Fuck this, dude." I was, yeah, you know, it was like that was it. That was You're, a wrap. I went and took all my art back. I was like, I can't do it.
2: That's funny, dude. I thought you were going to say The story was going to be a lot darker when you had to walk around the back of the warehouse, there's 20 dudes around you like sex trafficking over here, you know? (laughs) But but yeah, you know, I delivered phone books, dude. I had like 18 different careers, you know, like side careers, like plan B careers, you know, until I realized that plan B never works because then you end up just doing plan B and
0: being too afraid to follow
2: your own path, you know.
0: But yeah, I mean I think a lot of times, like if I wouldn't have gotten fired from Starbucks, I'd probably still be working there.
2: Well, it's funny because I remember when Togo's got bought by Baskin-Robbins and changed to Springers, and you were all, what the fuck? Like, you were like, God, I'm still working here. I got a new fucking devil on my back, you know? Well,
0: they, they, I, got, I got fired from half the Togos, too. I got fired from that one because me and uh, this, this kid, Sparky, from Eastside Montalvo, like, we'd always, like, shut down, like, an hour early and put, like, a note on the door, you know? Uh-huh. It's like, we apologize for the inconvenience. <laughs> we're closing tonight at 8.00. You know, and then we just fucking play dice and drink tequila (laughs) and fucking whatever. And then like one day I forgot to take down the sign, you know, and they came and I was smart about it, too, because like between eight and nine, what I would do is I would just if people came in and they got like a a turkey sandwich or a ham sandwich, that shit's like four ninety nine. And I just have a penny, you know, inside no sale it. And then I'd save a couple sales, and I'd run them between the eight and nine hour. Oh, that's pretty that yeah. smart.
2: Yeah. yeah, see, dude, you're fucking smart. I know you are, and that's what the whole point of this conversation <laughs> is. You know, you know. So,
0: but yeah, sh- shout out Sparky. <laughs> shout out Montalva. <laughs> yeah, dude. But anyway, so how does Black Opal like officially end? Doug's death, and never again after that. It's like we're not never doing it without Doug.
2: June second, nineteen ninety nine. Okay, he was. Um, three days away from graduating high school, him and Mike Mall and um, our friend Jorge were in his car. He had a 64 Falcon, you know? He was a speed demon, you know? Some people have that need, you know? He knew how to control a machine until he couldn't anymore, I guess.
0: Well, he was also the funniest motherfucker. That guy, his crank call game was, like, Mine was pretty good. Yeah. But he would do, like, this guy smiley one that was, like, Hey. I always did the old Jewish guy. You know, <laughs> we would call
2: his names. Remember, we'd be at yeah. Belcher's house or Tony's house. Yeah, you know? Tony's like, house. Is it's your father. we like, calling it like, yeah. Yeah. But no, yes. Yeah, so that's, uh, you know, he was my best friend, man. Like, like, like hardcore he had a key to my house he my mom would give him allowance you know yeah i get we ditched school my mom would just ream me and she would you know trick me like park her car in the garage and not go to work knowing i was gonna like not go to school you know or come yeah. back and and she'd be like you know you're grounded for the summer and be like doug do you want something to eat you
0: know yeah, <laughs> yeah he was also you was he 17 or 18 when he passed he was 18 okay yeah, he was, he was he like was, a, he turned 18 5 days before that yes yeah, so he was like a dude also like he looked like he hit puberty at like 11 or something because oh, he dude. he yeah. was a grown man oh, right yeah, yeah and when um, he hit that football field man it was like uh it was like no nobody else well like, i don't you know, know anything about that i just know that he could always <laughs> buy us beer Right. Yeah,
2: oh yeah. Uh the Chicago deli, thank you. And TJ's liquor locker that's no longer there in Hollywood Beach, man. That's it. Smokes and beers, you know, and he we would never have to pimp it. The times we did, we got robbed, you know. Yeah. But but uh but yeah, when he passed away, uh we just me and Matt just decided that was it, you know. Yeah. Uh we, we, we were gonna do something else. His parents wanted us to keep it going. <laughs> Uh we did keep going but but we did we folded the name and the band, and like you know that band died with him, yeah, and uh what did you do right after? um I started promoting shows um uh, mm-hmm. a year before he had passed away okay. um and I kind of was doing everything at the Ventura theater um yeah, you had w- a long run there I did there was new owners there, and um i i they were, you know, they had they had owned the underground before in the Emerald City, and mm-hmm. so I used to go to shows there and get. I got kicked out a couple times for underage drinking, and so they didn't like me very much. But um, Joe Revis was was tight with them, and so I kind of got in with them. And I, I walked in there one day and there was an office upstairs that just had a shitload of demo tapes and it was dark and dingy and there was rats and shit and i said this is my office i'm going to start doing stuff here and they're like fuck you get out of here so, but i just kept showing up every day yeah and um i'm kind of the one that brought the local scene in i just told them look you need these bands you you're not you're not surviving you know at the time punk and metal old school punk and old school metal was so fucking dead like you uh, it was so fucking dead. You had to pay people to go, you know, in the late nineties, you could have local shows there that would draw eight, 900 people, you know, fearless vampire killers, um, who, who, uh, my ruin, you know, whatever these metal bands are, you know, they would draw eight or 900 people on a local rock night. It was crazy, but they came in and they didn't, they didn't have any connection to the local community. So, you know, I started, um. You know, they taught me how to do offer sheets and how to book bands and introduced me to a lot of agents. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, uh, I brought in uh, bands like um, Cannibal Corpse, um, Six Feet Under, um, King Diamond, Merciful Fate on The Reunion. Um, I, I did Bad Brains a couple times when they were soul brains when Madonna owned their,
0: their name, DRI. Uh, Dickies, The Damned. You know that Bad Brain show, me and Todd, we tried to sneak in. We went up, I don't know, or there was one time they played Ventura Theater. Uh We we went up the, you know, the stairs on the side. Right, right. Yeah, we made it all the way in to like the fucking... uh, The balcony. Yeah, we made it into the balcony and the security guard caught us and chased us all the way back (laughs) down the stairs outside. I
2: guarantee you I booked that show. But John C. helped me out a lot, you know, like with the whole Salzer's connection. So we would do, I had to do a pay to play thing, you Mm -hmm. know. Um, where you know the bands would have to sell tickets, but dude, without that, like, I'm not kidding you, I would do 50 tickets at the box office consistently. That's it in that room, dude, for like the damned. Yeah. Okay. Like nobody cared about old school punk. Any, if you had a guitar solo, and I mean, dude, I did Fear Factory, and there was 800 people. Yeah. I did King Diamond, and there was 50 fucking people. And okay? yeah, that's what year? Uh, that would be like from 99 to 2002. Okay. But I, um, I got lucky. Um, I I started I forged a really good relationship with a lot of agents, and then when when people would throw me a bone, like I got a Slayer show, you know, um, that Slayer sick of it all, yeah, Slayer sick of it all, Meshuga, um, I got a No Doubt warm up show, three eleven warm up show, so I would be I would be the stop where people would go when they would do these festivals or Warp Tour or whatever, and they would kind of do the warm up shows here, and I'd have these sellouts, you know, Mm -hmm. and I had a shoebox full of cash, and I bought a car, you know, it was like. It was great, but I but but really it was the local, the local bands that that were that were starting to, to you know, because no local bands had a chance to play that venue at the time you know, so uh, but yeah John C really helped me out with that and like so all the pay to play tickets we would sell them at Salzer's at like an outlet and we would do you know Davi helped me too uh, Davi Revis you know. Um, with wild planet wild planet would be so we 'd have these secondary ticket outlets, you know yeah where you know people will... that was like the height of c d sales so everybody was still going to record stores you know, so they would still see this kind of stuff um but yeah, you know that was um that was kind of my 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 stop in the in the in the promotions game there um and with that, I took the knowledge um when no motive started touring um I actually was their tour manager and um they had a kind of shitty booking agent that like wouldn't really follow through on, on, on a lot of things. He kind of just got them on tours and they would kind of just be there. Okay. So what I did was like, I would make fake contracts and send them, to the, all the promoters and with this fucking rider, you know, with whatever black socks, condoms, batteries, you yeah, know, yeah. and like half the time we would get the shit, you yeah. know, like they just knew no difference. We were on tour with face to face, MXPX, all these bigger bands. Um, so that was before my time in the band. But, you know, I was I was a part of what they were doing. um years before i i I had joined you know so that was that was also during that time you know so i would i would be booking shows at the theater from the road and back then um you know they my nickname was uh well i had a few nicknames they called me ripped fuel because i used to take that shit uh they called me nick a cell because i was the only one that had a cell phone back then Mm -hmm. in the 90s and like i uh would be chain smoking and talking on the phone. So, Nick Nick a so. Cell. that's yeah. pretty good. And they call me metal blade tube. It's cause you know,
0: yeah, I was looking up the first time that in control played Ventura theater and it was March 16th, 2001 Dr. No in control, whatever it takes and aggro. Yep. yep. I remember that one. Yeah. That's so sick. I, I f- have, never, I, I, I never would have known that whatever it takes played. I have a flyer Ventura here. Theater. <laughs>
2: I have a flyer here from the Ventura Theater of a show that I booked, Riverbond Nightmare Band, Dead Rats, those guys were from Palmdale, Voice of Defiance, Boilerman, Davi Reeves Band, Rainfall, I don't remember who they are, LBC Let's Be Called, remember Todd? You remember Todd? Mm. God, what was Todd's? What was Todd's last name? He was Ventura kid. Okay. God damn it! He was in Officer Negative, and then he was in like he was Wayne A. Morrissey. Todd Joe Revis, help me out here. Um, anyway, and then look at I love this artwork. The only artwork is the, the Brujeria. cover of the Bruharia cover, but Don with yeah, the fucking holding the decapitated. Head?
0: That's actually one of the three shows voice played after I left the band.
2: You weren't in the band at this point.
0: No, they played Ventura Theater twice, and then they played the Blood for Blood show at Laser the Star. You did one of the theater shows, though. I never played. No, the theater you didn't. So
2: Ortega was playing bass. Yeah. Okay. Okay.
0: Yeah. So, um, but that was cool. I was there for both of them. Yeah. Support your scene, fool. There you go. Even even when you leave a band and they cut, and you know, and, and they that, cut you off I the second that seven was, inch.
2: And that, when you're <laughs> young, when you're young, you know you're you can't really see the light at the end of the tunnel yet. And those wounds kind of stick around for a long time. If you're, if you're booted from a band or you have, or you leave a band, you know what I'm saying? I quit. So, no, but I mean, that's cool that you were like supporting the band, like still, you know, because sometimes it takes years for people to get over shit, you know? Yeah. And like, uh, uh but that's hey, what <laughs> you got to take the high road, dude. No. Yeah. They're but, the ones that left me off the second seven inch. I remember though, on the standing ground seven inch, when you had a, you had a rap verse and you had a diss what? that you yeah you I think you dissed Phil in a SYG song. Oh, we wrote that, a whole song. Yeah, I, I remember back in the day when we stood side by side and felt the same way and then, I, when, know, I know.
0: I hey, know. And you know what's
2: fucking funny? Hey, let me tell you this because <laughs> because I am on a fucking uh a hardcore punk rock podcast. So, uh <laughs>
0: but after, No, no. You're like, peeking like a motherfucker. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> I'm just trying to talk into the mic. So
2: <laughs> So 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 I like you know, no, your normal
0: talking is good. Not
2: to Sorry. slam, not to slam like, you know, hardcore people, but, you know, I always got slammed younger by you guys for being a metalhead and all this shit, you know? But it's like, I started to think about it through the years, and it's like, okay, like, yeah, hey, maybe I wrote a song about a girl, like, every now and again, you know? Yeah. Like, hardcore dudes are just writing songs about other guys, you know? <laughs> and if that's all it is. It's like writing songs about other dudes, you know, and how another dude, like, like put them through it, you know, and it's like, you know, what's wrong with, you know, everybody gets their heart broken, you oh, know, what's Death Threat <laughs> had a song
0: about a girl. So what's up? What about that Death song? Well, song? There you oh. go.
2: There you go. There's one out there.
0: But yeah, I mean, like that is, I mean, okay, yeah. So I wrote a diss track. Yeah, it was it was no ether, but no. It, was, it was still pretty good. I'm
2: glad you guys are cool now. I love Phil. Yeah, I do
0: too. Um but yeah, so let's let's jump to you joining No Motive.
2: Yeah, so um, I had gotten a job when I had when I had exited the Ventura Theater. I had gotten a job at Guitar Center, and it's kind of funny because it was the same thing that I did. I took the same path of getting a job there that I did at the theater. Like, I would go into the store, and they just I, I kept applying, and they wouldn't hire me. Why? I don't know. But so what I did was I ended up selling an amp, like a $2,000 amp, to a guy. And yeah. I was just there hanging out at the store. Yeah. And the general manager's like, holy shit, dude. And I was like, look, I know my shit, right? Yeah. So they ended up hiring me on.
0: And it was like during the Christmas season. I you should, they should also fire the guy that like wouldn't hire you. Like, well, like, oh, well, oh, he was the boss. Like, I know, but you're yeah. talking the GM. But you're not yeah. you're not interviewing with the GM, right? So you should. No, I him. did. I oh. did. Yeah.
2: So, um,
0: so he was the guy that didn't want to hire you, and then right. then he caved,
2: right? Because I was just making them money by just yeah. hanging out. So um, it was during the Christmas season of O two or O one, maybe. No, maybe O two. Um, and they had this whole fucking thing because it was a big corporation at the time, mm-hmm. right? And so you had to go through all this fucking bullshit of like. You know, getting getting takes two weeks to just register and get through in the books and start working. You know, you have to process. They were a
0: publicly traded company. They were
2: at the time. And dude, um,
0: you don't get to tell me I I worked for Rite Aid for one week. (laughs) (laughs) I did security for Rite Aid for a week. This is right after the art shit, dude. And you had to go to be a security guard at Rite Aid. I had to go to like this class, and they show you this VHS. It's literally from nineteen eighty four. Like showing you how to be a security guard and shit.
2: Totally, man. Yeah, so I had to go through the same shit, and I had to do this whole like they had like a, this uh, CD-ROM training. Okay. And dude, it was just two days of this bullshit, and the the GM comes and he's like, "We're slammed." He's like, "Just get out on the floor." So yeah. I go out there and I fucking sell like more than anybody in the whole store my first day. So things just start going, dude. So d- during that month, during that Christmas month, I got a huge fucking bonus. I outsold everybody in the
0: state. The But do you state. But do you think that you could have sold that Steve Vai guitar at American Music?
2: <laughs> the one that was perpetually there, yes. the neon green one with the handle. Yes. Dude. I don't know. Yeah. If I knew the codes, I would see. This is the fucked up thing. People need to know this. We, they, we, there was a store called American music center that we grew up around and it was basically the only game in town in Oxnard besides Henson's, which had just had kind of bullshit band school band shit. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. American music, man. They had Mike Smith from the choice work there, which was cool. I remember, but they, but they had uh, everything. They had no price tags on everything. They had these fucking six digit codes. And so the salesman would size you up, yeah. you know, and you're like, oh, how much is that? And kind of like, Oh, let me look at the code, you know? And then kind of, that would kind of tell him what, how much wiggle room he had, yeah. you know, and if he could rip you off or not, you know, and yeah. if your mom was there, you're getting ripped, you know? know? So, but, but anyway, even for like guitar strings oh, and shit, dude, oh, it's ridiculous, dude. <laughs> I, I won't even tell you about some of the trades that I made. Like I regret so hard, you yeah. know, like bad shit. They, they fucked me. But anyway, um, so yeah, so I, I started breaking all these sales records at Guitar Center. And I ended up staying. Um, They had this whole thing where you had to work in every department. Then you had to be the assistant manager of the department. Then you had to manage the department. And there were five departments in the store. And then you got promoted to uh, assistant manager. Then you got promoted to sales manager. And then eventually you got your own store. So I bypassed all that shit. The regional manager came in and I remember he said, this guy has the lights on. And he said it like in front of the whole store. I'm like, fuck. You know, like I don't want to... I want to have camaraderie with my employee. Or I mean, with you my, should
0: have just taken your dick out. <laughs>
2: <No>. <laughs> That's what's yeah, up, but, motherfucker. Yeah, but so anyway, I went, I bypassed all that and went directly to sales manager. Yeah. And um, they gave me keys to the place, the alarm code, all this shit. Funny story one time, just during <laughs> dude. It was, and then, uh, then the
0: next week, we fucking stole all their guitars. <laughs> <went up>. <laughs> <laughs> no, that didn't happen.
2: But no, uh, it was during Halloween one season. And I was like, we're always big on merching the store and really decorating it, you know? So like, yeah. I fucking went all out because, You know, I'm all into horror and like that was my big thing. So I get a call. I'm opening the store and I get a call like two hours before the store opens, and this guy says, "Hey, this is Rick Allen from Def Leppard. Mm -hmm. You know, the drummer." And I go, "Yeah, I'm I'm like, yeah, right." And he's like, "No, really, it is." He's like, "Look, I got to go to Santa Barbara. I'm coming from LA. Uh, My rep fucked me and I have no sticks, so I need to come in and buy some." So actually, he just needs a stick, exactly. (laughs) So I go, "Okay, cool." You know that's cool. I called my boss and he's like, yeah, go ahead and do it. Cause I wasn't allowed to let anybody in the store before hours. So anyway, he, (laughs) he calls the store right when he gets there and he comes to the door and I got to open up this roll up gate and stuff. So I I let him in and I just say, Hey, just stand right here by the front door. I lock the front door, pull the gate down. I said, I got to reset the alarm, but don't move. Cause it's motion censored. So I go back. It takes me a couple minutes. Cause it's like in the warehouse so he's standing there for two or three minutes I come back and he's he's looking up to the ceiling where I had I had put a severed arm hanging uh, from, the, from the ceiling because it was Halloween I was yeah. decorating it all core yeah. and he's just staring at it and I'm like oh no dude he' this dude with one arm you know yeah. but uh he I thought you were gonna
0: <laughs> come back every two minutes dude. he was doing one arm push-ups <laughs> you gotta stay fit mate that's right No, he didn't say anything about it but anyway so um,
2: so I excelled in that company and I ended up working for the grand opening team and they would send me out for like a month to other stores around the country. And I would build the stores, hire the staff and train them. And then we do this big grand opening sick. and then I would leave and kind of go somewhere else. From there, I went to Hollywood store where I ran the accessories department, which was great for me. Cause I just met so many of my heroes all the time. You know, I mean the Hollywood rock, I mean, that's the, ep, that's the epicenter for
0: me, me, Famous musicians Yeah I mean we used to Drive out there To yeah, go to that course. guitar center and
2: Before we had one here Well yeah, like, yeah And
0: it was also Right across the street From Mesa Boogie Absolutely dude yeah. And I
2: bought all my shit there yeah. But um, uh, After that I went back To the Oxnard store And um, My boss came up to me And he said Hey let's go to lunch I said okay And he says Something's come up And I said Okay He says You got the call And I'm like Okay and he says, "We want you to, to run the St. Louis store. It's in a lot of trouble, but we know you could turn it around. We will, uh, we'll ship your car out there, we'll put you in a hotel for two months, and we'll, we'll, um, we'll give you we'll move all your shit, and we'll start you at 60K a year. This is in 2002. Yeah, And I have no education. I know what I'm talking about. And they
0: got Del Taco in in, uh, St. Louis. Now they
2: do. They didn't then. They did then. They They were the one satellite satellite spot. I mean, I didn't know that for sure, because I just know that touring so much, like, when you get to Arizona, California, you're like, thank God, I got Del again. It's the one other spot. Okay. Okay. So anyway, uh, they said, you have 48 hours to decide. And I go, wow, this is a huge, like, what the fuck? Like, this is crazy. And, um, you know, I knew in that corporate world, it's basically, I had, I had already climbed that ladder. I mean, dude, I had sales awards at number at one time out of a hundred stores. I was number four in the chain in sales out of
0: Oxnard, dude, you know? So, um, how many Ibanez bases get sold in Oxnard? (laughs) Ibanez, dude, (laughs) Ibanez. (laughs) But
2: anyway, So what happened was, you know, I'd been through the corporate system for a couple of years and I kind of had seen what other guys had done. And I kind of know that, like, you know, some guys had families and they didn't take certain opportunities, even though they were already in a good position. And those guys just ended up becoming furniture. It's like if you're not with the if you're you're on the team or you're not, you know, like if you get an opportunity, you go, you know. So I thought this is do or die. I've never get, seen this much money in my life at that time. And my age, in my, you know, being 21 or whatever. Sure. And, and, um, and I thought this is my key here, you know, but there was always something in the back of my mind where I was always bothered by that job because I was so busy making other people's dreams come true where here I am like a prolific songwriter, a great performer, a career musician is so I, or so I thought. And, um, I I, I had to, like, really think about that. So it's funny. That night, that very, very night, I got a call from Jeremy. And he said, hey, can you meet for coffee tomorrow morning? And I go, yeah, totally. So I met him at Starbucks in Ventura. And Roger and Max were there. And I was like, hey, what's up?
0: And we were just hanging out. The grind is already gone. What? The grind is already gone. The no. daily grind.
2: No. Oh, the Daily Grind. Oh, yeah, the I'm coffee just saying, shop in yeah, yeah. I thought you meant my job. No, uh, the Grind is definitely gone. Yeah, I was like, yeah. that's
0: fucked up. The, you're, the you're Grind the, was gone. In the- you're the reason why you put them out of business. You yeah. choose a Starbucks or the Daily Grind. and <laughs> fucking <laughs> support corporate no, coffee No, bro. Daily Grind was gone by then. Okay. Um, but um,
2: so we drew, they were just bullshitting and talking about nothing. you know. And I was like, okay, cool. We're just hanging out. And then out of nowhere, Jeremy goes, all right. Let's cut the shit, man. And I was like, <laughs> okay. He's like, Do you want to join our band? And I immediately said yes. I hadn't even told them about the opportunity that I had now. Now I basically had 24 hours at that point to mm-hmm. decide if my whole life was going to change and I was going to go do this thing. And I just said yes right away. And I went back to I went to work that day and told them what was happening. And some people were pissed. But like my mentor there, he's all dude go for it. He's all go for it. I've been here. I've seen all the changes here and I didn't get that opportunity. I wanted to do that and I didn't. So just go for it.
0: And so that's the other thing about sales is if you're good at sales, you can always come back because the numbers speak for themselves. You know, they'll try to scare you. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity, but it's like dude, three years later, if you came back and did the same thing, I wasn't thinking about it at that age. You know, I had a lot
2: of limiting beliefs at that time, you know, um, the sales thing was easy for me cause I knew what I was doing and I knew what I was talking about. I just had so much knowledge about the products. We well, you you know? also, you
0: have the gift of gab. Yeah.
2: Well, I've read, I've read a lot of, I've still study sales today. Yeah. You know, I, I study sales constantly all the time, daily. I read books, I listen to podcasts and stuff, you know, yeah. I mean, a great salesman is the, it's, you know, in a recession, you still have a job, you know, I yeah. mean, so, um, but anyway, yeah, so, so I joined the band. And the cool thing about that was, like, they basically told me that, like, look, the Roger's going to go back to drums, so we want you to play bass. But we just want you to know that, like, we want you to be in this band because it's you. And whatever position was open, we know that you would be able to figure it out, you know? And so that felt really good to me, and I felt like I was in the right place, you know? And they were one of my favorite bands at the time, you know? Even, like, when we were in high school, when they put out that record... You know, and the 7 Inches were cool. But when that record came out, I was like, dude, they were the first band that had a full length. It was on a label. Cynical? Yeah. Okay. And, like, it was it was fucking, you know, the singer could sing, you know. I mean, they were doing things that were light years ahead of what all of us were trying to do, you know. They played
0: Gilman Street?
2: Yeah, and then they had the 924 song. <laughs> <them>. <laughs> but, but, yeah, you know, like, that was a big thing. And, like, dude, like I said, all the girls were into it, dude.
0: All of them, you know. And... Well, yeah, because they had that reggae song on the record. Uh, what was that song? That was like the ultimate party song. What was song. that song? How could I wait for another, another day? day. See, See you again. again. Da, 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 da. That was the ultimate house party song. Yeah. it was like, ooh, oh, dude, I like it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, what what I say in 95, dude?
2: <laughs> but no, you know, so that was like, and touring with them. And seeing all that, you know, the interesting thing was... Because you'd already been on the road with them. Oh, yeah. yeah. But I, I had stumbled, you know, and dude, I would take a roll of film every night, real film. I would shoot the band. I would do lights for the band. I guitar teched. I, 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 I lived and died for that band. And, you know, there's a funny picture that I saw a few years ago that somebody took from the side of the stage where you can see the whole band. And I'm sitting there on the side of the stage And it's just the five of us, you know? And it kind of reminded me of something that I remember at that time. um, That I loved the band so much. And I I would be with them on tour and stuff. And I would see them. And I would always think, man, I wanted to be in the band. But I never, ever, ever wished anybody would be kicked out. Or I never thought I would replace anybody. You know what I'm saying? So it was never like... Like I was never waiting in the wings, you yeah. know, at all. I thought that the lineup that they had was perfect. You well, know? this
0: is an interesting, um, an interesting twist that actually comes back in the, not the end of your story, but the end of what we'll talk about your final, your final band of the episode. Um, at that time, Pat, who was playing drums for No Motive, had started doing another band called From Satellite with Armo. Right. Right. Yeah, and then they were taking it seriously, and I think they got signed to a major, right? Dude, they played fucking two gigs,
2: and they got signed to Immortal Records, which was a sub of Epic. They got, like, a $250,000 advance. The fucking label, like, dropped them, didn't ask for any of the money back. Then they played two more gigs and got another fucking major deal and the same advance. It was, like, unreal. Like, those days were, like, you know... I mean, but they had it. They had that... They had it. They had the songs. They had... The musicianship, they had the image, they had like what was going on at the time, like in in popular rock, you know, like modern rock. But they didn't rock. You don't think so? Nah. I mean, they had, I mean, for what it was, though, you know, like I thought that they they could have been contenders with with the Stanks or Incubuses of the world, you know? Maybe. But anyway, so that was a sore thing with, with, with No Motive because, you know, they were writing this record... And, you know, Pat was kind of split off into it's not like now, you know, at the time, nobody had side projects, you know, like, it's like you had your band, you know, if you had a side project, it was a fun thing that probably involved somebody else in your band, you know. Pat did Creep Division, but that was just a really quick record and a couple shows, and like the yeah, and, that- and no motive
0: in the '90s, like they did Repeater,
2: yeah, right, stuff like right, that, right? And but I think No Motive really piggybacked on the whole Creep Division thing, just because Pat was involved, you know, playing with Russ and Craig and these guys, like like well,
0: and the, that was also the first band that took them on tour. Mm-hmm. This is like it's right. just a, a but cool but like thing. you
2: want to be associated with sure, that, you know? Sure. So that I don't think that was a problem, you know? The band supported that side project for sure, but you know. Um, You could tell when, you know, Pat was a driving force of No Motive. Like, he was like the Lars of the band. Like, without Pat, the band would have never done anything um, outside of, you know. I mean, I I don't know that for sure. But, I mean, he was was the, no, everybody took a step back as far as, you know, the business direction of the band. Pat handled that. So, when. No,
0: and Pat had the gift of gab, too. Right, right. Pat is an infectious person. Oh, yeah, like. He's got to me to know that. Pat is to love him. Yeah, absolutely right. Like, absolutely, you can't talk to Pat and walk away from the conversation feeling bad or anything. He just. Well, I don't know about that. No, I think if you're if you're knowing him, I'm on you the just, road with him. Okay, but I'm talking about he's just chatting up a dude. Yeah, that guy's gonna walk away and be like, "I like this guy. I like what this I guy's love having Pat. to say.
2: I love Pat. You know, um, you know, he was my he. That's funny. He was my best friend in No Motive. Like I was closest with him when I started touring with the band, you know. Um, but sometimes on the road, you know, I mean, he was pretty—he's pretty hardcore, dude. Like he would get—he would get pretty hardcore on the bagging sessions, you know, to the point where it was just like it just exhausted me, yeah. you know. And I'm like, dude, I'm here for you, yeah. you know. What I'm saying, right. getting no money, right? You know. So, uh, but but you know, that's all water
0: under the bridge for sure. Um, okay, so you joined the band. Your first show is at the Livery. <laughs>
2: My first shows, and you delivery. almost hang yourself with yes. your guitar cord. I can't believe you remember that. So uh, I bought. That's a why bass. I'm the. That's
0: why I'm the right man for this shit. <laughs> I bought a. bass. No one gets away with shit. I
2: bought a 1966 vintage B bass, and it was like a four thousand dollar bass. But I worked at Guitar Center, so I got it for like eight hundred bucks. You know, <laughs> so um, I, uh, you know, it was my first gig out with them, and I was just super, super energetic. And, um, just trying to do too much on stage, you know, and I remember I tried the fucking cock rock move where you throw your guitar you you're, you 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 take your arm out of the strap, your right arm out, and you th- swing it around your neck, right, yeah, there just wasn't enough clearance on the stage, so the bass hit the ceiling or the or the pipe that the curtain was hanging from, yeah, and it fucking flipped around and it was around me like a backpack so the bass is stuck to me the strings are on my chest and I can't get out of this thing and so the bass just stops the band keeps playing and somebody had to help me out of it it was a total spinal tap moment and and I got a talking to that night for sure from the band I yeah. was, dude. You, know,
0: you know Strife successfully always pulled that move off yeah but they probably practiced it in front of the mirror and shit you know like I, I had never tried it before oh, you know? <laughs> so, that shit looked good when Strife yeah. did it though
2: I'm oh, sure dude you know but they wore their guitars higher true you know <laughs> Um, but yeah, so first show was at the livery and um, RIP livery theater. I mean, it's still there, but uh, in Ventura, but that was a great, great thing. Brian Para hooking up all those shows. Shout out Brian Parra. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, but yeah, from there, um, you know, um, I had been in the studio with the band and uh, finishing up the Daylight Breaking record. And I had been involved in writing a couple songs with them. Um, on that record and I I brought into like the heavier stuff you know the heavier
0: riffs and like the darker stuff oh that's I love that song on the second record I was saying that one (laughs) that's the second record
1: though
0: what's that song Saviour
2: yeah Saviour I love that that song yeah um but anyway, so um, so we finished that record and um, had kind of transitioned into not being a pop-punk band, you know? Yeah, uh, a little
0: the third record sounded a little darker. Very much so, man. And Jeremy's vocals are firing.
2: Yeah. Well, I introduced Jeremy to a lot of, um, I was listening to a lot of like dark wave shit at the time and a lot of 80s, like um, a lot of 80s kind of underground goth. Mm -hmm. Um, death rock kind of shit, you know? So I was like listening to like old school death cult and like Depeche mode and stuff like that. And uh, uh, along with like Alice in Chains and shit. So he really, you know, we would, we would just do drugs and and have these moody sessions where we would just like candles and hang out all night, you know? And that kind of just, I don't know, it kind of transferred over into our music. And then Max was really kind of getting into that tune and starting to want to play some clean guitar and some just more, Atmospheric, ethereal music, stuff that had a lot more emotion to it instead of just the bubblegummy kind of kind of stuff, you know. Which and when Pat was out of the band, when Pat got kicked out of the band, I think that they wanted nothing to do with the direction that he was trying to take that band in. And then now the direction he was trying to take this new band in, which was a really like commercially viable thing. You know, he was really into like the Blink 182 thing. And I think those guys liked that stuff because it was fun to play and like, you can do cool stage moves and like, but they weren't really like married to the idea of like, Hey, this is my musical legacy, sure. you know, kind of thing. Sure. So things got a lot more serious when I joined the band and we started touring really heavily. And doing long, long fucking tours, three month tours, summer tours, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, we got a legitimate manager. I dude, I remember it's funny that he was recommended to us by somebody at the label. And <laughs> Rogers, Rogers, like, man, they keep beating us up to meet with this manager. We didn't want a manager because we thought, you know, we don't need this shit. And um, he's he's like, I think he like manages NWA or something. He doesn't even manage like fucking rock bands, right? So my grandparents had went to Europe for the summer, and they own this fucking like two million dollar house like in Rancho that like looked over the 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 San Bernardino Valley and all this shit. And uh, we went and stayed there, and dude, they had a full wine cellar full of shit. My aunt was staying there at the time; she was like a chef. And there's like different wings of this house. So this guy was just he really, really wanted to manage the band. So I said, okay. So tell him. If he wants to manage a band, he's got to fly from San Francisco like tomorrow, yeah, and come to Rancho Cucamonga up the hill and meet us, yeah, and he fucking did it. And but uh we wanted to impress him and be like, dude, we're rich rock stars, you know, like yeah. <laughs> like whatever. So he showed up and turns out he managed the Neville brothers. It was <laughs> NWA, right? Yeah. So but, but uh his name was Kent Sorrell, and he was um we call him so real because uh of his last name, Sorell, and we always kinda teased him that. He did manage NWA, but he didn't. Um and he was great. And he was great. And he he was he was pretty much with us and, and until the end there. But um uh, but yeah, we uh we 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 were just searching deeply for an identity, and that was the problem. We that yeah, because
0: that record is probably the best No Motive record, but it also it's so
2: schizophrenic, dude. It,
0: yeah, it comes off as almost like you're demoing you're demoing shit.
2: I feel like that record, every song on that record could have been written for another artist and been a fucking top ten hit. Yeah, you know, but I think that people want to identify with the artist as a personality and know that that's what they do. But we were able to do it all. Yeah. You know? We had every kind of song you can imagine on there. And that was cool for us creatively, but it sucked sonically playing live. It's like with the gear and shit. It's like you got to be able to go in all these different directions, you know? Or when we were on tour, we did
0: different tunings and stuff, right? Yeah, so and there's like, a lot of stage and different shit you sounds, get. yeah.
2: And like, and when we were on tour supporting other bands, it's like, okay, maybe we have one song that fits the repertoire of what this whole tour is about, yeah. You know
0: what I'm saying? Yeah, and Max didn't buy a pedal board until 2019,
2: <laughs> he was using mine at the time. No, <laughs> okay, I had set him up with a lot of shit back then, you know. We had experimented with a lot of shit. and like that was a lot of fun, you know. Yeah. It, was, it was really cool, but the label, God bless them, they had. They had grand visions for us, man. When they heard that record, we—I remember—we were on tour with the Alkaline Trio, and we left the tour two days early because we had to—we f- had to come home and do a video. And dude, we go to this like soundstage in L.A., and it's like fuck this huge, you know, seven thousand square foot warehouse. It's a two day shoot. The thirty—they're shooting on thirty five millimeter film. That video cost us ninety five thousand dollars. Yeah. Uh there's like workers, there's fucking makeup, there's craft services, there's people spray painting grass, there's there's carpenters building shit. It was like unreal. There's these like tracks with the camera on it. Yeah. I mean it was awesome, but I remember a rep from the label being there and going, "Dude, you guys like we're blowing this up, dude. Like you guys are going to tour with fucking Tool, not Alkaline Trio." Right. You know. Um which, you know, that didn't happen, but it it was probably our own fault, you know? I mean, we would just we were getting a lot of money at the time and relaxing. You know, we didn't have to have jobs. You know, um, Vagrant had made a deal with DreamWorks Interscope at the time, where Interscope had had bought out forty nine percent of the label. So, and it, so Vagrant could do whatever they wanted. They had majority control, but they had all the resources and all the money for this ma- from this major label. Yeah. So they're like, "Fuck it, let's do this." You know. Um, what happened um, after that was. Um. Now I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus here, but um, this is I mean the facts are the facts, you know. So um, we had been we had we had been on tour and we were in New York, and we were gonna play Irving Plaza that night, and I was just stoked because I had seen pictures of you know Agnostic Front and like uh, uh the Misfits, you know, backstage at fucking uh you know at this venue, you sure. know, for three years, so. We had our our manager flew out from San Francisco and he says, Hey, we have a meeting at Lava Records, which is the subsidiary of Atlantic at the time. And they had signed Kid Rock, and he went Diamond, which is like 10 platinum, Yeah. yeah, 10 million and um yeah by war, by ruining a Warren Zevon song yeah right <laughs> well this is before that this is like oh, yeah. american badass or whatever oh, yeah. like this is when when he first came out this is we're talking like 2003 here oh, yeah. or, or actually 2004, 2004. My, my kid yeah. rock timeline's a little off <laughs> well i'm not a fan i don't know but i just know it was then you know <laughs> bow with the bah or whatever the fuck oh. he was doing right so that was him that was him dude bow did the bow the did the it. yeah so anyway I didn't know that there was an A and R guy there that had stumbled across our record and we had that last track on the record, Life Goes On Mm -hmm. and he was just obsessed with this song. So he got a hold of Vagrant
0: and said, Hey, I want this band. Speaking of Life Goes On, the that's the best poison solo on their song, Life Goes On. Dude I heard. Well,
2: I doubt that C. C. DeVille even played that fucking solo, dude. They probably had some studio music. <laughs> <laughs> on and on and on. And on and life goes on. Na, 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 that's not bad. That, no, it's a ballad. That's in control, oh, dude. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, on our, and on and on. Yeah.
0: Our, <laughs> yeah. We ha- we have the superior version of all the "Life Goes On" songs. <laughs> you definitely do. But anyway, so
2: the story goes on. Um They <laughs> they <laughs> anyway <laughs> they uh. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, dude, you got drops. I like that. All right. This show's getting pro. Uh, But anyway, uh, so they hit a vagrant and say, the guy's like, look, I want this band. What do they mean to you? And they're like, well, these was like, this is like one of the first bands we ever signed. Yeah, it was like the first know? signing yeah. other than
0: Face to Face that was affiliated with the label, right?
2: The manager of Face to Face, it was his label. Face to Face was definitely not on the label. It was oh, like yeah. the Go to Hells, Boxer, Motive. It was like a couple, all the bands that got signed in the first wave, nobody stayed except for No Motive. Everybody else kind of faded into obscurity, you know? Yeah. But then there were other bands that came along, like Alkaline Trio, Dashboard, Confessional, that just bands that made it big know, yeah. broke. Um, so... um, They said, hey, look, you know, like we're well invested in this band, but if you want to buy out their contract or you have something going on and you think you can do something with it, like we're open to negotiating about it. Sure. So our manager flew out and we all went up to this meeting. We could like, you know, downtown Manhattan, Atlantic Records, dude, like you're like, we're like up in the fucking 46th floor really nice office and the guy sits down and like iPods had just coming out, come out at the time. I remember the first time I saw one on tour, one of the guys from uh, get up kids had one and I was like, what is that? You know? Yeah. And he showed me my space and iPod in the same day. And I was like, "What what is, what is all going the on? Here. Yeah. Right. I mean, meanwhile, me and Roger spent the last two weeks before tour 12 hours a day, burning all the CDs that we wanted to listen to yeah. for the next three months. Right. So, um, Anyway, so we were up in this office and the guy shows us his iPod and he's like, life goes on. And he had it like the plays tracked. He's like, I've listened to this song, you know, over 300 times, like in the last week. And he's like, so he's talking to us about, you know, structuring this deal. And like, you know, we're looking at, you know, our managers kind of telling us like, look, like if we get this done, the advance is going to be probably, if if we did a publishing deal, too, you're talking probably at least a million dollars. 750 to a million. And uh, we're like, what the fuck? This is amazing. Like, what could we do with that? We could do so much with that. We were recording our own records at the time, you know? Yeah. So... He his thing was like I'm coming to the show tonight and I just you know I can't wait to hear this song you're gonna play the song right and we're like oh fuck yeah for sure yes 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 so we had it on the set list it was the last song on the set and he made him wait for it <laughs> well I am I, I went up he was in the balcony and I went and said hello to him before we had played and um, I remember um, it gets to the last song in the set and to my rec, this is my recollection I remember Jeremy saying, "No, fuck that. We're not fucking doing it." And he went into another song, and we never played it, and we never heard from the guy again. Wow! Um, Should opened with it. That's my recollection. I remember not me so much. I felt like a sellout at the time around the band at times because maybe I didn't have as much pride, or I was willing to. I was willing to do a lot more things that I guess would compromise my integrity in order to get somewhere with music and the looking back on it, that that's not a really, it's not a, it's not a characteristic that I'm proud of, you know, okay. actually the whole time in my life, I'm like, I look back on it as a kind of an embarrassing time, just the way that I acted, you okay. know, the shit. I was, the shit I was doing on the road and like, just the way I was, you know, um, well, you're young. I, I know. I mean, I how know. old are you? I'm probably twenty. I'm early twenties at the yeah. time. But, um, uh, you know, Max and Jeremy always had really, 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 really strong integrity, and they were so punk, like at in in their hearts, you know, that they were they it was it was about no compromise, no matter what. And I thought that was Jeremy's way of being super punk of going, you know, fuck this, like we're not gonna play this song because this guy wants to fucking hear it and you know in my mind i was like dude it's one of our songs like you wrote it he yeah, likes song, <laughs> you know and now funny enough it's like an extra track re-recorded now on the new version of the new whatever they're putting out now you know yeah. so uh anyway you know it's easy to point the finger and and blame you know i don't have any resentment i'm glad the way life worked out but that is the way that I recall it going down and that's basically the straw that broke the camel's back with the band. And, uh, shortly after that, uh, when we borrowed the in control
0: van to do a headlining tour. And that's when I got an iPod.
2: Yeah. That's when we got you an iPod and we spent the whole fucking week, fucking, uh, staple gunning fucking sheets to this, to the ceiling so that the asbestos or whatever, the foam wouldn't come down and fucking choke us in the night. Um, yeah, we hooked up that van, but, uh, uh, on that tour we were in Spokane, Washington and Roger said he was leaving the band um and that was that was pretty much it but we at the time we we were writing new songs and the label wasn't feeling it and mm-hmm. i thought it was the best shit the band ever did i mean like besides uh you know the early stuff that i like but um that was the ended up being the winter long ep mm-hmm.
0: um we ended up uh which comes which doesn't come out until 8 years after daylight breaking yes however the it was recorded in two thousand
2: four. Right. But that recording was lost and he re That recording was lost. Yeah. And we ended up getting together years later and re recording it and it was awesome, man. Like we really did a, a great job on it. And it that was even though it's still a little schizophrenic, it's way more cohesive than daylight. And it was totally the direction that we wanted to go in. And I always thought no motive with everything they did, everything. They were way ahead of their time. Mm-hmm. I remember even when we were in high school me and Max were right about to just drop out. It was like beginning of our senior year. And we're like, dude, we're dead here. Like, like we're so far behind. Like we could, we would have to do so much work to even finish, you know? And he was like, you know, things are taking off with the band. I think we're going to go for it. And, He told me it was before sadness came out. So you're talking between Scarred and Sadness. Yeah. He's like, it's really weird. I don't really know what we're doing musically, but there's something there. He's like, I want to call it alternative. Yeah. But I just don't know what it is, how to classify it. And that's that's a band ahead of its time. Like, like where you're not joining a part of a scene. You're already a part of a scene and you're taking those the blueprints of that music of punk and hardcore, and that's your backbone. But you're expanding into into something else you know with more musicality and, and like that was the birth of like emo and, and shit like that. Yeah, you know? it's hard it's
0: hard to pigeonhole sadness. Dude. You know, of of how to describe it. But again, you still have a hardcore song on there. You still have a do da la song yeah. on
2: there, you know. So uh which are left oh, we, over. We
0: love the do-da la du da on this podcast. Yeah,
2: i bet. I bet. But um but you know, that's kind of uh that's just goes to show that tradition carried on with the band. I mean, long after that, and even when I was in it. Mm. If anything, I think that diagram was the one, the one step that the band took where they were trying to jump on something and trying to become a part of something that was mainstream, that was happening, that was punk derivative. You yeah, know? yeah. Yeah. Um, but we completely abandoned that and 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 went back to to what felt right, you know, and it was heavier and it was much darker and it, it was much more of an emotional listening experience. And that's something I'm really proud of. So when we did put out that record, I don't remember when it was 2012, right? We did a couple sh- reunion shows and went up the coast with um, who else reunited. We did, we comboed with another old vagrant band, uh, uh, hot rod circuit. And it was cool. And, and I was happy to cap that. And like it felt like closure completely, completely, yeah.
0: and I was felt really good about it, so yeah. Okay, so Daylight Breaking comes out in 04. When does No Motive actually break up? You think like 06? I'm gonna say, yeah, at the latest, okay. Um, is Baby Please Don't Let Me Go the first? <laughs> is that the first Jeff Hershey in the Heartbeat? Yeah,
2: so check this out,
0: okay. So there's a couple years between, no, no, there's not, okay.
2: Um what happened was in '03, we did a tour, and we had an idea that we were going to make an EP that we would only sell on the tour, but each guy in the band in No Motive had to write their own song and play every instrument on it. And Okay, KISS. Right. Well, no, KISS didn't do that. They had studio musicians. They just put out solo records. My bad. Okay, so this is one EP with four songs, yeah. one by each guy, but yeah. each guy had to contribute... All music and yeah. all vocals to it, right? Mm-hmm. So I wasn't confident. I hadn't played drums since I was ten, and I was like, "Well, fuck, you know, I could write a the sickest Slayer riff right now, but there ain't no way that yeah. I'm gonna." So I wrote like a doo-wop song. At the time, I was like really obsessed with like a. 50s culture and like the mafia and shit. I Mm watch Goodfellas every night, you know, read books. And like, I just really got into the soundtracks of those things, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I wrote, um, Roger had like fallen in love with this girl in Canada. We called her, she was, she wore an army helmet. I don't know why, but, (laughs) but, uh, and he kind of like, um, Roger lays it down that hard. Yeah, Right. He kind of, he kind of like, you know, knew that it, that you know she was in eastern canada that distance wasn't going to work out but anyway uh, i kind of wrote this song based on his experience and it was um it's called when our when our eyes first met which is actually the b-side to the single to the heartbeat single but that was the song that was going to be on the on the comp so it's just a simple doo-wop song oxnard yeah it's a simple doo-wop oh yeah you hear the sirens in the background there (laughs) Um but uh it's a simple doo op song and basically it's just the drums, you know, got got like I was yeah. able to handle that, you know. And then I did all the backing vocals as if it was like a group, like four fucking dudes in a subway in New York, you yeah. know. And uh laid the harmonies down and then kind of just laid this vocal melody over it about, you know, like it's just a sappy love song, you know, like a fifties style doo wop song. So so that was that was sitting around forever. And then I did B- "Baby, Please Don't Let Me Go." It was the next song that I did when I started getting into it. And Roger played drums on that, and that sat around for a long time. And and we transitioned and we did the, we started Hybrid Moments, which was like the Misfits
0: esque band that you we started did. as a cover band, and then we you started did. writing a couple of originals. You well, put out like a, a CDR demo,
2: yeah. And so Mike Mall and and Luis, the bass player, had started um, just writing songs in the garage and they go, Hey, sing like Danzig over this. So I went and did it and that's how the demo started. Um, and uh, so we were out doing that for a while. And then Max ended up joining on second guitar. Roger ended up becoming the drummer and then Jeremy was like the crimson ghost. So it's like, no Moto was part of that whole thing. You know, we had big yeah. stage productions and all this shit. And um, um, so that lasts for a while. And then like the horror punk scene kind of caught on to us. Um, and now it's got a whole resurgence. Like the records, like being re released in Europe and Japan. And what like, record? Uh, so we did a we did a full length called The Haunted. Okay. And it included more original songs and some Misfits covers. I and it's like, in what Marshall, a CD. In London Dungeon. Yeah, it's a CD. Okay. Check this shit out. We only made a hundred copies. Okay. okay. Some guy went to prison in Atlanta in oh four. He ended up, that was his only CD in jail. He listened to it for 10 years, and he learned video editing. So when he got out of prison, he hit me up on MySpace, and he said, hey, is it cool if I make videos for these songs? So he made a video for every song, put it on YouTube. And if you look these days, it's like a viral smash, dude. And people are like, how would I have never, ever heard about this band? And with the whole Misfits resurgence, now it's huge, and now we're getting tour offers. So we'll probably be doing something next year. Um, but it's just funny, you know, you never know what's going to happen with your can career. We get, can we get the retaliate record done first before Roger? Goes no, 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 no we're not re-recording moments. shit. I mean, yeah, we're just, <laughs> well, before you guys go tour, whatever the fuck ever to talk to the man with too many things, you know? Yeah. So anyway, so there was that, I don't want to skip over hibern moments. That was a very special, uh, time for us. Um, so what happened was after no motive, um, I reconnected with Ron Baldwin, who was the first second guitar player of black opal. Okay great musician. And we wanted to start a band and we wanted to start a band. That was like nothing else. It was like Depeche mode meets, uh, hard rock, you know? And, um, Jeremy was not doing anything at the time. And he was like, Hey, I want to sing in the band. So, we ended up doing. We ended up starting this band called Monster Hand, mm-hmm. and we all moved into a house in Ventura. Oh, I, for, I forgot about this. the Monster House. This didn't. This didn't make the list. Yeah, don't, there's a reason why but it like, did, and I'm getting into it right now. Okay. okay, so we all moved into this house, this big ass fucking house in Ventura, and we spent three years basically trying to write songs and build a studio. But you know, I was going through. Jeremy was going through a lot of uh, through a divorce and a lot of like relationship. Problems at the time i was going through a really bad drug addiction um you know I, I hated my job i was like working in la and i would come home every night and drink a six pack of beer and a pint of whiskey and like do a bunch of blow and get sick of it and shout out good times yeah you know um but yeah i was going i was having a really 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 hard time you know i went through a pretty bad breakup too um but uh we, we never fucking did anything, man. Like, we, we never got anywhere with anything. We were just... We were too much, like, perfectionists, you know? Yeah. And, dude, th- before you know it, three years had gone by. And I was just moonlighting doing hybrid moments gigs here and there. And I was just totally depressed and unfulfilled and just thought my life was over, man. So things fell apart with that. And I, I moved out. And I said, you know what? I'm going to fucking do the heartbeats. I'm going to become this guy. I'm going d- d- to invent this character. And I'm just going to be a fucking wild man on stage. And I recruited the best musicians I could find. You know, I had Brent from Social D playing bass when we started. You know, Tony Cicero on drums. I, I, Joe Baugh on guitar. I had Kyle O'Donnell on sax. I had like these total pros where I could be like, this is what we're doing. This is how we're going to do it just fucking lay it down. Yeah. And that's how it was. And I I didn't make any money for the first couple of years because I was losing money. Like it would cost me 500 bucks just to play, you know, mm-hmm. because of the, you know, I had pros on my side that I had to play or that I had to pay. Um but so that project kind of evolved and I went like full steam into it and I I started getting into those subcultures and like getting booked to do like mod scooter rallies in Vegas and like um underground uh you know, uh, 50s rock shows, you know, and now, like, there's a whole scene for that all around, you know, Viva Las Vegas and all yeah, that. The,
0: the skinhead retirement circuit.
2: Well, you know, well, kind of, but it's like the rockabilly, the soul thing, uh, the, the 50s thing. It's it all ties in together to this roots music, you know. And so what I did was in, in 2010, I went on tour with Dick Dale, the legend of surf guitar, you mm-hmm. know, as his roadie. And we toured all through Europe. And at the time, I had recorded the first couple songs of what would have been the Heartbeats full-length, Soul Music Volume 1. And uh, we did it all the tape. We went to this studio where the guy would, I mean, we couldn't even bring cell phones in here. No gear was was post-1970 in the studio. No automation on the board or anything. So I started to write what I thought were like modern classics. And um, I had brought a couple songs to Europe, and after all the shows that we would do with Dick Dale... They would have a dance party all night at this club. So I would always slip the DJ some money and say, play this. And I would film it to the reactions of the crowd dancing. And they wouldn't know. They would think it's The Temptations or something. You sure. Know? But it's a song I just wrote and recorded. So I ended up sending it to 32 record labels. I got 20 no's, 11, 11 no replies, and one rep- one reply that was somewhat interested. Yeah. And he said there was this guy Marco from this label called Soundflat in Germany and he said, "Well, what's going on with the band? You know, what are you guys what are you guys doing here?" And I said, "Oh, we have a fucking killer booking agency and we're going to do these big tours." And he's like, "Cool, who's the agency?" And I said, "Well, I can't tell you right now because I it's between a couple big ones and yeah, I don't know what we've decided yet." So he he agreed to put the record out. Then I said, "Okay, now I got to fucking find a booking agency." Because I totally lied to this guy. Yeah. So I found this agency out of Holland um, um, called Sedate Bookings, and um, I had told them that I had a record deal, and they were like, "Let's do it." And so that's I kind of played the two against each other, but that's kind of how how it all started. And then I started going over there, and like I had a lot of success in Germany, but mainly Spain. This is before or after the LP comes out. This is right. The LP had come out.
0: and okay, had so in, it, yeah. in 2012, Jeff Hershey and the Heartbeats. 2011. Okay. Yeah. Stupid discogs. <laughs> 2011, Jeff Hershey and the Heartbeats releases Soul Music Volume 1. Right. Right. And um, on CD and LP? Yes. And um,
2: so we had gone out there, and like with Spain, it was just like fire, dude. It had just hit, man. It had hit. And like the first, I remember the first night we, the first time we went over there, I was so jet lagged and we had to play that day. And I was in Stuttgart, Germany, in this small ass club. And I was just laying down thinking to myself, what are you doing, dude? Like, what are you do- You're in way over your head. There's no way this is going to work. How the fuck are you here doing this? And I had just major anxiety. I hit the stage that night and the club was sold out. And I couldn't fucking believe it, dude. And I was like, fuck, we got to give these guys a show, you know? and from there it caught on and even still with night demon man we go play festivals in spain and people like <laughs> the last time we we played this big fest the promoter came to me backstage and he's like hey there's a couple guys here to see you and i said who like the interview or something you know it's like no they're like i know who these guys are and they just want to talk to you so i'm like okay so these two older guys come in like fucking three-piece suits and they're like, we have an offer for you. And I'm like, what? Like, we want to bring the heartbeats back. You know, we're going to pay you $15,000 and all expenses for one gig. And I'm like, dude, I'm so deep into this world. Like, I can't even try and do that right now. But yeah. that's kind of like the thing. It's it's gone going away and seeing that scene rise up major in the mainstream. Huge. You know, <sighs> there's all these blue eyed soul guys now that are fucking top in the charts. It's kind of like a thing now, same as hybrid moments. I love that I've created something that, you know, It's at the time when you're doing something, you don't know what, I mean, you can ask ill repute about that. You know what I'm saying? You don't, you're not conscious about, you're just trying to do the best you can and trying to create something that currently is going to fulfill you and and the people that you want to reach. Right. You don't know that you're making history and this is part of, this is going to be ultimately part of your, Your long-term legacy you know so um um one month before the lp came out i started night demon okay (laughs) Uh, i started it with brent brent woodward and pat bailey and i just said look i want to do a new wave of british heavy metal style band we i want to make a seven inch and that's it we're not going to play we're not you know no, nobody is cares about this shit yeah. except for us um so we ended up doing that we recorded we had we we had five rehearsals we wrote one song every rehearsal and on the fifth rehearsal was the recording which ended up being the EP the 7 inch and um we just let it sit and we kind of gave it around to our friends you know we we just passed it around and and we never we never pressed it or anything about a year went by. I was way deep in Heartbeats World. I was doing a lot of touring. And um I mean, I remember I did a tour with a heart we put out a an EP called Underground Classics where I did punk covers. Like we did Fears, I Love Living in the City, Misfits, Some Kind of Hate, Agent Orange, Um, Bloodstained, and I Oh
0: Repute's Oxnard. we we covered that too. Um comes out in two thousand thirteen.
2: Right. So I'm I'm on this I'm on this tour where the heartbeats do this we play, we play at the Libby Bowl in Ojai. And then the next day, we're doing 28 straight shows in Europe with no days off. And then the day after that, we're doing a show in New York. So 30 days on from Ojai to Europe to New York. In the middle of this tour, I call Brent and say, hey, you know, just checking in. What's up? And uh, John sees with him. And so John Criar, uh, he's like, hey, man this night demon shit, you got to do this. And I was like, dude, nobody gives a fuck. And I'm so deep into this thing right now. Like, I'm really trying to make this happen. And he's like, look, man, I'm telling you right now, there's something here, even with just these four songs. Like, I, he's like, and I was like, we don't have a drummer. Pat moved away to go to school. He's like, I'll play drums. So I said okay. So I came home and from that tour, and he's the one who got the whole fucking thing going, dude. And he was the first to drink from the chalice. <laughs> yeah, totally, man. But he, uh, he's like somebody's gonna want to put this out, and I was like nobody's gonna put this shit out. So what we did was, I found the new wave of British Heavy Metal dot com, which was run right out of Europe, and I fucking hit the guy up, and I said. Hey man, there's this band Night Demon. They put out they put out an EP in 1980. And um yeah, I think you should I think you dig it, you know. They're an old British band. And he's like, nah, bullshit. He's like, I know all bands. And I said, No, nah, I mean, this is really obscure. These guys never left the garage. And he's like, Bullshit. He's like, I know all bands. I know everything that ever happened in that time period from that fucking whole country, from the UK in general. I know. I know. And I said, "Ah, well, I think you're mistaken here. He's like, well, send it to me anyway. So I sent him the, the, the the four songs and he gets back to me right away. What do you know? He's like, what do you know about this band? I need to know. And I said, okay, well, truth be told I've, you know, you were right. And I fucked with you. I kind of pulled the same thing I did with the heartbeats. Yeah. And he's like, this is really good. And he's like, can, would you mind if I stream this online and just shared it? And I go, yeah, go for it. Literally the next day, um, like I st- we get blown up dude like with European festival offers about five different label offers and I couldn't believe it I, I like came to tears like some of the stuff that people at labels wrote to me about what it felt like when they first listened to it I was like this is like a fucking insane this is a cruel joke you know or like this is my payoff for never giving up, right? Like, it's happening. Well,
0: it's a nice circle back to you getting back to your roots most and, definitely. and being and being validated for it. Most definitely, most definitely, I agree with that.
2: Um, so, um, coming into the uh, the name change, the Jarvis Leatherby becoming Jarvis Leatherby, you know, is funny. Brent actually came up with the name, and he had an idea that. You know, if we were gonna pull the wool over people's eyes, we had to come we had to give ourselves like old school British names. So I was he because you 'cause me, you're gonna
0: go with a shtick of your natural right, old band. Right.
2: So he gave me the name Jarvis Leatherby. He was Ogden Aldrich the Third. I can't remember Pat's name. I think it was just Thud or something like that. <laughs> but, but anyway, uh when things got serious, those you know, he those the other guys were like, No, I wanna use my real name, you know? And I was like, Look, I already have Three musical careers behind me that are established with my name, like as and a solo project. Like I don't want to. Conf- I I I'm happy with my legacy. Let's. I'm doing this for pure enjoyment. Let's. Let me keep that name. I think it's kind of funny. I think it'll. You know. So then, after time, about a year goes by, things are really picking up with us, and John and Brent were just. They kept pressuring me to to like start a Facebook page under that name and really just become this guy. And I fought it for a long time. And John brought up a good point. He said, you know, it's just a name. He says, you are Jarvis Leatherby. Like you're not pretending you're not fake, you know? And a lot of new school people will come to John and go, yeah, look, he's a poser. He's playing metal now. And John would set the record straight and go, dude, I've known this guy for 20 years he was metal before you even fucking knew what music was, you know? So you're right. It is like a, it is full circle, you know, and it's definitely who I am, but you know, the name stuck and I was signing record contracts under that name. I took three years for the record, the the labels to even know who I really, what my real name was and stuff, you know? So you have the exclusive here, the breakout, you know, a lot of people don't, don't know about my past, and I've tried to keep it separate. Not because I'm embarrassed of it. I just kind of like the game of it all, you know. I like I like people's discovery of it. You know, a lot of people fans have done some deep dives, and they've come up with shit like, "Oh my god!" Or gone to record store and seen a Heartbeat's record, like, yeah. "What the hell?" Hopefully, right.
0: this is the right button.
2: <laughs> the more you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, nice, dude. <laughs> nice. I need my Jordy fucking gla- glasses now. <laughs> But um, but yeah, so that that was um, that's the story of how Night Demon started, man. I mean, we
0: really just—it's in its purest form. It's
2: like how every band should start. Like, yeah, and
0: you went for it right away though, because the LP comes out pretty quick, right? Yeah, 2015. I mean,
2: yeah, that's uh, the Curse first, of the damn Yeah, right,
0: right. And um, we had toured, we had toured
2: Europe, um, and we only had three gigs, and they were spaced out over six weeks, so we had to kind of figure our way out and try and find. And we would play anywhere we could. We'd sleep in a basement for a few days, whatever. You know, we yeah. were roughing it. But we started playing the songs from the record because we only had four songs, you know, that were released on that EP. And that EP had gotten re-released on High Roller in Germany, and you know, I mean, I think it sold close to twenty thousand copies, you know, like to date. So the seven I, inch, uh, yeah. But it, we did an expanded version on the twelve inch with okay. some extra tracks, you know, our covers and live tracks. Um, but um, you know, I mean, it's it's. When I turned 30 years old, I had been at a job that I fucking hated for years, and I felt like such a prisoner and such a slave. My touring was on vacation time, and I had a lot of self-doubt and I I just I was hitting that point in my life where I'm like, "Dude, you have no skills like on paper, you know, like you're not in demand for any kind of Lucrative job You're just spinning your wheels here Like You know I mean I got super depressed To the point where The first time that night Even played LA We had driven down there And we played at this Bar on Skid Row Called the Down and Out And I was down and out And I told Brent Um I said I'm gonna kill myself tonight And I was serious about it And uh he was you know he was pretty honest in his approach and he said look I'm like really bad at this stuff like cuz he's he's you know he he's not like I'm a guy that's that can open up and you know I've no problems with that you know but but he he's he's not you know and and he didn't really know what to say but he he was really obviously he was against the idea you know <laughs> sure but something happened that night. We, we played, and I played like it was my last show ever. And we had no idea. I mean, he may have had a little idea, but I had no idea about this. The underground subculture in Los Angeles for heavy metal, it was fucking bonkers, dude. Like, people were losing their shit. They didn't, they couldn't, they're like, what am I seeing right now? You know? And like, we just, we, we brought it out, man full punk rock energy class. It's like Metallica. Yeah. Kill them all era, you know? And that change, that night changed my whole life, man. And I said, you know what? I'm going to give it one more shot. And here's how I'm going to do that. I'm going to walk into my job that I've been at for eight years and I'm going to fucking quit and I'm not going to have any money and I'm going to be homeless. And if my family, or my girlfriend or my friends criticize me about it or, or 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 don't support me in it or don't give me enough positive feedback to keep going i'm going to keep myself going and i'll be sitting in the gutter and i'll be one of those guys where people might say god never thought he would end up like that you know but i have to give it that's how much of a shot i have to give it 100% right nothing else is going to happen it's just this so I did that, and I retired the heartbeats, and we did our final show at the Olivas Adobe Ventura. The city put on a really, really, really nice event for us. And, you know, about 500 people showed up. I did the fucking whole catalog, two sets, um, and just left it all out there. The the VC star did a real nice cover story for me. They titled it Heartbeat of a Demon, like just tr- this transition, Dude. you know. And um, it's it's all history from there, man. You know, I mean, we spent a lot. I mean, I've been homeless up until from pretty much from then until this last year. But, you know, I had lived with my dad. My dad had helped me out a lot, which was cool. Um, But there were periods in there, you know, where a couple years, a couple years where, you know, we, we really had nowhere to go. Dustin was sleeping in his car and, um, you know, Thankfully, you know, I had, a, a, I had, a, I, I did have places to to go sleep. You know, I had a girlfriend that she was great, you know, uh, Cheryl, you know, she was really supportive and helped us buy our first van and, and just everything, you know? Um, and I, you know, I'd stayed with her, but, uh, it wasn't my house, you know, I wasn't contributing anything. Um, but uh yeah enough about I guess the the I'd hate to bring the mood down here, you so know. the night demon hits um, you just take off, yeah, you know, I mean it's a progression, you know there's no overnight success, it's just baby steps every day we take a little step forward, you know, and it's yeah, like you start
0: grinding you just
2: have the belief that you know like you you it becomes you, you know I've become it this is my life, you know, this is this. Like, I am this, you yeah. know, there's no end game, you know, there's, there's no, uh, um, No fallback. No, definitely not. I mean, I, I, I own a management company called Iron Grip and I manage some bands that are much, that are bigger than ours, you know, but that's just, I'm involved in the, the in the world of music, you know, Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've got a good sense for it. I've been in the business for long enough. And, you know, I mean, I like creating new n- new things. You know, a lot of people are running away from the music industry because, oh, there's no money. And, you know, I mean, there's money there. You just have to fucking go grind it out. I mean, we're in a band. We make a living off a band. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Come yeah. on, dude. Underground metal. You yeah, think about that. So, um but you know, I'm just fully immersed in it, and like the the company that I keep is very cool, and like I I rub shoulders with guys I never thought I ever would, you know. But now it's like I've become a part of it, and a part of the change that's happening, you know. And and you know, I've been fortunate enough to work with big companies that, you know, I've helped them change their platforms for the future, and like see kind of see where the topography of the scene is going, you know. But so, have you met Lars? I have not met yet, Lars yet, but he supposedly knows about us. So, oh.
0: <laughs> But well, anyway, I, I wanted mean, he to... Is, he is a fan of yeah, the genre.
2: Yeah, he is. <laughs> but I wanted to, yeah, along those lines, I wanted to give a quick shout out to, like, like you know, my parents always, always supported my vision. You know, always, always. Um,
0: well, you're acting like you're wrapping it up. I want to talk about... No, no, up. no, yeah, okay, okay. Okay, well, you, you do an LP, Curse of the Damn. Curse of the Damned, of the Damned yeah. Okay, so how do you feel about it? You go in, you're writing your first heavy metal LP. It's, I felt great. I mean, like, there was so much
2: inspiration there. Yeah. And there's so many cliches on that record. I mean, there's a song called Satan. I mean, if you look at the cover art, the dude with the axe, there's like, he's got the Necronomicon, there's pentagrams, there's a goat. Donnie Phillips did that artwork, shout out. Yep. Um, shout along out Donnie. with uh, James Dufresne. Um,
0: but. Uh, yeah, it's a very referential band. But it's, Absolutely. But that's. It's kind of the point, right? It's exactly the point.
2: It's exactly the point. It's a know? throwback. It's exactly the point. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we we didn't come to reinvent the wheel, but there's a certain freshness to it that we bring, and there's like you know our punk influences and our metal influences and all that. Because see, here's the thing: like we 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 more identify with a band that was from like '79 to '83. But we lived through the other years, Sure. so we've 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 seen we've lived through the thrash scene. We lived through the hardcore resurgence. We mm-hmm. lived through, um, through all that shit. Through mm-hmm. new school punk, you know, like yeah. uh, even our more melodic songs. I think we sound like a new school punk band, you know. Sure. I think sound like fucking you know, just like Bad Religion or you know, No Effects kind of kind of stuff without the tongue in cheek shit. You yeah. Know? But um, uh, the the crazy thing that happened with that record was all the uh, accolades that came with it. Like all, you know, we were t- we were to- topping all the polls, you know, like number one record, um, getting awards from magazines and shit. and
0: Number um, one heavy metal record in Lithuania. Yeah.
2: Well, Germany, you know, that's the fucking mecca of metal, dude. Sure. Okay? Shout out Creator. <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely.
2: We actually got to play with Creator, which is awesome. Um, but, uh you know, there's only one way to go from number one, right? And that's yeah, down. But yeah. when we put out the um, the next record, I mean,
0: well, let's talk about that approach. Okay. How 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 hard is it to write a second LP? It's it's like it's impossible, dude. It yeah. seems impossible. Yeah, because you're trying to keep the same thing going, the momentum, but not being like you're not. You can't copy the record. You can't put out the same exact thing. You can't. Um,
2: we we expanded a little bit and when it was all said and done I thought it I really liked the way it came out mm-hmm. I didn't think and the, this is Darkness, Darkness Remains, Remains coming out
0: in 2017 right I
2: I didn't think the fans would like it as much and I definitely didn't think the labels would like it as much Um, but I was wrong yeah and this record got us even more accolades and it was number one we started getting voted number one in fucking fan votes and radio polls like that's where it counts. Sure. You know, the journalists are great because the journalists these days, they don't make any money. They're just doing it for the love of the game, you know? And, like, they're pretty honest in their approach. Yeah, but- what's
0: that one guy that's on every single heavy metal documentary? He's, like, that bald guy from the U.K.? Malcolm Dome does that guy like you? He loves us, and he came to see us when we played except
2: in London. And like I've been on his radio show too, so like it's fucking great, dude. I, I mean this. I is love that guy. guy on a
0: like I love him on all the documentaries, dude. Malcolm
2: Dome, yeah, it's yeah. just like he's fucking. He knows his shit. He was there, yeah. you know. But he's keeping it going, and like to have support, like just to know that guy is yeah. fucking awesome, yeah. you know. So. Um, And that's what I talk about, what I'm talking about when I tell you that like, there's like, we are in the, you know, all I ever wanted to be was part of the conversation. I wanted to be in the books of history with my heroes, you know, and we are now we've solidified that, you know, and so now it's. It's it's a it's a trippy thing, you know, and you kind of try and find a way to keep going, you know, and so now so, you know, you think you, you can only slide from number one and we hit number one now with a bullet. So now I'm in a position, you know, where we're currently working on this next effort that it's like i've just given up and just said fuck it you know we're just going to do what we're going to do we're not going to repeat ourselves and i'm not worried i'm not so concerned now about the accolades some of my favorite records got so slammed when they came out and like now they're the most class they're like the bible for certain scenes you know sure. so um but we love i mean we're i don't know i hate to use the word luck cuz i don't really believe in it I believe that I've sacrificed everything for this.
0: There's, there's a little, yeah, luck is a weird word. Let's talk about it. You have to, you have to put yourself in the situation. Though, Absolutely. You know? So it's like there's no such thing as real luck, but there is a little bit. Well, listen, right? listen.
2: Just like when you said, when you asked why Black will never put anything out, it's because I knew it wasn't good enough and I knew we weren't ready. And like the, the great John Wooden had a, had a quote that said, luck is where opportunity meets preparation. And I totally felt like that's when when we decided to do 19, when we were ready to do that. I had been in enough bands. 19 was my 36th band, like I said, you know, like I had been in enough bands to know I had enough experience to do it. And it's thank God rock is no longer a young man's game, dude. Because being 30 years old and starting a band, I mean, you might as well, you know. It's funny enough when me and Armand were 16 years old, we made a fucking pact. That when we turned 30, if neither of us had made it, quote unquote, made it, that we would have to, we would, we would seriously hold each other in check to quit and go, dude, no, like, we don't want to be like that guy, you yeah. know, but now that the mainstream is dead, it's like kids love older shit, you know, and they like seeing older guys go out and fucking prove it, you know, so they appreciate the wisdom, you know, and the experience. But, you know, I mean, even just down to starting a band, I was like, okay, okay. Here's what not to do. I mean, even with the name, it's like, cool. I want the same amount of letters in both words. It's going to be two words. It's going to be symmetrical. Oh, here's how the logo is going to look. Here's how many records we're going to do. You know, like here's 666 yeah, records. I actually think the. I did a research paper for myself, which sounds really nerdy, but I broke down the, my 10 favorite bands and when they dropped off and it's four records versus 10 years consistently consistently with all 10 bands. It's the first four records versus the first 10 years. So I don't really, I don't want to drag that out with our band, you know? And like some of my favorite bands, legacy bands, you know, like Scorpions, for example, I go see them every fucking year. They put out records constantly. They're on their 20 some 20 some odd record. And sometimes they're like, damn, there's some bangers on this. Right. And so they'll go out and play, They're only able to play two songs off the record at the shows. The other eight just have to be thrown away, right? They're never going to... Because they have to play the hits. Sure. Because their discography is so big. And then... The next year comes around, right? New record, same thing. Couple good bangers on this. You hear them. But like the previous record from the last year, it's like it never existed, dude. It's never existed. It's gone. And I don't want to do that. And that's why we've taken at least our touring cycles per album are two, two and a half years. We've done 600 shows in the last four years, you know? So like we, we want there's still people that haven't discovered us. We want the fans to have an opportunity to to know the shit and us to keep going back. And so they can
0: be a part of it. Right. Well, in 2019, there's just so much content out there. It doesn't even matter. Like what you're talking about, like the pod, for instance, is such a slow burn. I mean, like it, it takes a week to get like all the listens and then they still build, you know, it's not like the first day. So it's the same thing with a record. People aren't going to find out on day one. It might take, they might discover it a year and a half later. But it's nice for them to be able to discover it before you've already moved on, you know? I think that's a nice, like, that's a nice wide berth. I mean, you know, plus also, you know, it's
2: like we're going on tour with Sacred Reich in some countries that we rarely play. And it's like, I don't want fans to discover us and go, wow, these guys have five records out. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's hard. How did I miss this, right? You know, how did I miss this? So. I believe it's also quality over quantity. We've never written a song that didn't end up on a record, right? Sure. You know, I mean, it's like we we have twenty five songs in our catalog that have been released. I'm really happy if if it ended today, I and mean, it's a solid ass legacy, you know. Yeah. So moving forward, we have a new unique plan of the way we're doing things, which I can't talk about because you know we've we've even had the label sign NDAs. You know, I mean, like we're yeah. we're, we're trying to do. We've always done things differently, you know, and trying to be pioneers in a scene that's, that's not as original, I guess, right? Yeah. You know what I'm
0: saying? So, it's, I mean, heavy metal is very derivative.
2: It is. But, you know, all of music, all of technology, all of art, all of art through history has just been taking what somebody else has done... And repeating it, but also maybe putting a little bit of a spin on it and your own individuality. Things that are too extreme or that are too much of a change, too quick, it's too hard for people to grasp onto, you know? Yeah. Which is why I say like bands like No Motive are at, were ahead of their time, you know? It's like such a drastic move is like it's it's too hard for the public sometimes. They need it in small doses. They need an evolution, you know. Um Yeah, people weren't ready for Infest. <laughs> dude you know or the locust you know like yeah. it's like now it's like pa- there's power violence shit that's everywhere and it's like it's like you know chicks are pogoing to it it's like what you know <laughs> it's, it's like it's a it's a funny it's a funny world man you know
0: yeah you want to you want to roll your shout outs that i cut you off from before yeah are we rapping shout out mom <laughs>
2: Yeah, no. I just want to no shout out to my my grandparents, my parents. You know, uh, they've always supported everything I've done. You know, especially musically. You know, I don't know how many times the police came to my house when I was a kid. I'm literally over fifty times. You know, from playing guitar, just the band playing in the garage. Oh, and like even my mom built like tried to build us a studio. You know, had a guy come in and try and do it. Like, um, but you know, my dad buying me my first guitar and taking me to concerts. You know, when I was young. Um. But I've had a lot of support, you know, Um, and I think my parents are at a point now where they've stopped – they're not worried about me anymore. They've stopped with the plan B. I mean, dude, I got my me and Mike Mall. We got our real estate licenses like a long time ago. We were going to go into that, you know. Yeah. I went to bartending school. Like I've had so many different careers. Well, Mike
0: Mall's making a living in music as well.
2: Yeah, and like look at we started together, yeah. you know, and we, you know, he was my first best friend, you know. And like we we You know, we had our first beer together, you know, like we, we, we played video games when we were like little kids together. I mean, we started our first band together. I took him on his first tour, you know, and now he's, he's into that world. Like I couldn't be happier, you know, how things ended up. And like, um, you know, I, I always with, with plan B, I always ended up doing plan B, you know, and thinking, having limiting beliefs that like, Hey, look, I gotta be able to support myself and that my passions were hobbies and that's just bullshit, you know? That's bullshit. Like, my passion is not a hobby. My passion is who I am. It's my life. And it's just, like, I i am it, you know? And that's the only thing I'm ever going to do, you know? I'm never going to work for anybody else again. And I get more job offers now than I've ever gotten from labels, agencies, management companies, all this stuff. And I have my own management company, you know? Like, I don't, you know, I like to work and partner with people, but, like, I'm... I'm that I can't, I have to have my, that inner locus of control, you know, like I, I can't, when you're, when you're working for somebody else, you're making their dreams come true. You know what I'm saying? And we need workers. We need people, you know, but there's a certain thing like taking life in your own hands. Right. And really going for it and living through the lean years and just having faith and knowing that you're gonna you're gonna be okay, and you're gonna make it through this, and 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 you're you're gonna, you know, when I had a job that gave me a steady paycheck, I was more financially
0: stressed then than I've ever been. I don't even worry about money anymore. I will say that everyone is different, and there is something to be said for the people that can find a good work life balance. I've actually always been very envious of the people that can like work a job, be happy going to work. And then, like, take their two weeks of vacation a year and go and do something fun and, and live a pretty happy life. Um, but there's people like you and me that we're just constantly, like, unsatisfied and have to be doing something else. And grasping for something. Absolutely. Um, and there's no right or wrong there. It's just the way that you're wired, you know?
2: Yeah, but, you know, you know what feels wrong to you. And the problem is, is that that's most wise. of the things that feel wrong to me are... 100% of what the people that have surrounded me or that I've been surrounded by or what society is telling me is the right thing to do, you know? So you go down that path for so long, but feeling uncomfortable in your own skin. Sure. You know, until you have the balls to fucking do something about it and go for broke and really know that, dude, this is going to hurt a lot, dude. It's going to hurt a lot. You know, pain is life. Life is pain. Suffering is, is optional, you know, it's a mindset. Shout yeah. out Marauder. <laughs> but um But you know, like I said, I have to But it's not for me. everyone. It's not for everyone. Not but anyone can do it. That's the thing. See it's yeah, not No, if it's
0: for you. You have to you have to follow what feels right to you. You know right, what, But you know I right I don't
2: what. want people to think cool. that
0: there because it's not for everyone, that it's not for them. You know what I'm saying? Agreed. You have to follow, like, you have to do what feels good and feels right to you. Right. And if you're in a situation in your life where you feel stuck, break away from it. Right.
2: But you can make a living doing your passion. If you're the best at what you do, you know, I spend a lot of time working on personal development and working on myself more than I do actual work. You know? I have a full-time assistant that does a lot of things for me that I'm able, I'm in a position now that I'm able to do that and just be take the CEO role, you know, and just be like look, if I'm the best at what I do and I I give myself enough time to nurture these skills, then I'm ready for anything that comes my way, you know. Um but you have to, it takes time, you know. You have to be patient and you have to you have to have a life. I have a lifetime of experience, you know. And my assistant is, is going, to, is getting, a, a, is majoring in music business. And she comes back from class and she calls me and she's like, dude, everything that they're talking about here, you've already taught me, you know, like you're so on point with what's happening here. And there's some things that they say that are total bullshit and are like archaic theories on how things work. Cause they're not, well, things evolving. evolve quickly. Absolutely. But that's the thing you don't have to, you know, we were taught that if you go to college, And you fucking, you get an education that you're guaranteed this, this stable life and you're going to get a job out of it, you know, and that's just sadly not the case these days. And people are paying out there at the ass and they're, they're, they're paying this huge debt, you know, for the rest of their lives, um, And they don't know who they are, and they don't know what they want to do. For me, I just followed my passion, and I got, I immersed myself into the world of it completely. You know, I evolve with it. I read the trades, I read the magazines, I read the blogs. I fucking have meetings with people. I see what other people are doing, you know, and then I have my own vision of how it should be, and I try and implement that and force change myself, you know, and fortunately that's, a lot of that's happened and I don't see that ending. I see the music industry right now as like the the Great Depression or like the Wild Wild West, you know, like we will be remembered later for, for being a part of the restructuring and the rebuilding of art, you know, and that's a good place to be in, you know. When you could see your funeral and you know who's there, you know, before you die, when you can see your music legacy before you die it's a really powerful thing and i feel very confident in that right now it doesn't mean i'm going to stop by any means because i have a i think i have some more life to live but if it's a good feeling after all these years to be able to say dude i've i didn't give up on it and you know, short of almost taking my own life because it depressed me so much. I had to just do something about it, you know, and, and here, and, and here we are. And again, like I've had, a have had a lot of support, you know, Um you know, I talked about Cheryl Armstrong, you know, my girlfriend that, you know, she totally supported us and, you know, helped out in a lot and like in, in so many ways and believed in what we were doing. You know Um, my mom, my dad, um, my stepdad, Mike, you know, always, always encouraging, always taking me to concerts, you know uh, anything that, anything that helped along the way, my best friend, Kate Busey, you know, like giving me a place to stay when I needed a place, Um, doing the mail order for the band, you know, for, for about a year, like just straight up, like, yeah, like, I mean, that's, that's crazy work, dude, you know? And Cheryl did that for a long time too, you know? Shout out Ito on that mail order (laughs) too. You know, but without them, like there's just, I don't know. I, I, I'm sure I would have found a way, but it's just you, when you could connect in the most authentic way and, and share your life with somebody that, that is that really just going to bat for your best interest, and is and is, is and is is there for for no ul- ulterior motives at all. It's like y- you get to a point in your life where you you really start to appreciate those things more so, and and reflect back on it. And you know, it's not it's not it's not a one man show by any means. I may be the driving force behind it, and I have the motivation and the motivational skills to get people on board. Um, but you know, my guys in the band, the, I mean, we basically have a contract together. That's just like, Hey, it was like for the first, ten, you know, for the first 10 years of the band, I mean, the band comes first, it becomes, it comes before family It comes before your health. It comes before anything else when it's time to go, it's time to go. If we don't do this, then we're we're not going to make it. We're not going to make it. If we treat this like a hobby, it's all it's ever going to be. You know, we've had to suffer from that. We've missed funerals. We've missed weddings. We've missed some crazy shit, you know, but I mean, we have a, we have, we're doing things now that I didn't think we'd be doing for years. I mean, we decided not to tour this year to write a record, but then everybody starts calling. We Like every weekend, you know, we were in Brazil last weekend. We were in Germany the weekend before, you know, we were in Tulsa Earlier, we were in Cleveland, we were in Pittsburgh. It's like people just fly us out for these one offs. Um, you know, I mean, just crazy shit. You know, like I never thought I'd be playing in El Salvador or Guatemala or Honduras. You know, it's like. What's,
0: what's better, uh, Tulsa or Rio?
2: Rio, we've had some crazy fucking. We've had, we, man, we had the last gig in Rio was fucking crazy, but Tulsa is fucking great, dude. I mean, look at, we started in Tulsa playing at, uh, at, doing pickup shows. I mean, I think we were on tour with carcass and we like started, we just had a day off and we played at the floor on the floor of a bar. And like, then we played the next venue. Then we played the next venue up. And yeah. and recently we just got flown out, um, flown out there um, to play a one-off at um, Kane's ballroom, which is legendary. Like the sex pistols played there on their only tour there's a hole in the backstage wall that Sid Vicious punched through there that they like preserved, you know? I mean, it's just crazy. Is like, it a club or a theater? It's a, th- it's a theater. I think I saw Tom Waits there. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's got, I mean, if it's in Tulsa, it's maybe. Yeah. There's like yeah. one big old yeah, theater, yeah, right? Yeah. But, yeah. but no, I mean, it's just those kinds of things. You nurture these scenes. I mean, there's so many metal bands that started out of Tulsa because of us. It's crazy. We just go and we connect it. Sometimes you just connect with a scene And it's, you inspire it and you, and you, and you nurture it that way. And it's so crazy to do that with something so far outside of your, your local area, you know? So we're very fortunate, um, to, to be able to, to, to keep it all going, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You, You want to, uh, any more of your shout outs? You know, um, I, I hate doing that
2: because I feel like I, I always miss people. You know, and I I think I've covered. You know, I mean, there's my, uh, you know, the people that I mentioned are definitely the 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 no, the most important. You yeah. know, um, uh, 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 Any, anyone else that needs their ego stroked, go fuck yourself. You know, I don't know. I, we didn't talk about uh, the Nard Fest or Nardstock. Oh, all, you want to talk but, about? Well, I mean, I figure this is a local podcast for Nardcore. It's like I I've. Just because I'm from here, I shouldn't be grandfathered in. Like I've definitely done my part for the scene, you know. Um, like I said, going back to uh, uh, bringing in the local scene of the Ventura Theater, you know. But uh, but but yeah. So um, it was uh, uh, me talk about me being perpetually grounded. It was the summer of eighth grade before going into high school. Woodstock '94 happened, and I my stepdad had bought it on pay per view, so I was yeah. grounded. I couldn't go to my friend John King's birthday party. I'll never forget that. But I was able to watch Metallica, and you know, just I was watching Woodstock '94 all weekend, twenty four seven pay per view, and I lived across the street from this field, this empty field, and Wayne's World Two, I think had had come out, and I thought to myself, "Dude, (laughs) Nardstock, it should totally happen with these Nard bands, right?" Mm -hmm. So you know, I'm in the eighth grade at the time, whatever. But fast forward to 2013, um. I The vision came alive, you know, and I thought, um, you know, the summer before was the summer of, we called it the summer of Nard. When, um, when, um, Ron Baird came back to town and Stalag had reformed, you know, and, and there was a a lot of things happening and, and Kyle got Dr. No back together and it was like, wow, it was like a perfect storm. So I thought now is the time. Let's keep this going. And so I reached out to everybody in the bands, you know, who I, who I had already known and been friends with. And, and, um, I just said, look, here's the vision. Here's how it's going to go. I'm going to pay you more money than you've ever been paid and I'll make it work, you know? And so everybody got on board and it, I hired a publicist. I went, it did went global, dude. Like it went totally viral. Yeah. And, um, I had Donnie Phillips do the, the artwork, which was, um, a straight takeoff of the Woodstock, like logo and the bird and the hand, but yeah. the guy, the, the hand playing the guitar had dark on the knuckles, mm-hmm. you know, um, and so I got a cease and desist letter that came to my house from Woodstock. It's great. I have it all framed up in my office. But, um, you know, they sent me the original copyrights and patents. And they're like, you can't use the bird logo. And like they, they even they even tried to, you know, they, they kept me from even calling it Nard Stock, you know. So yeah. I, that's why I had to change it to Nard Fest. And I got a lot of heat over that. Like the reporter did an article about it. And then, you know, like Brandon. What's Cru- the heat? Like Brandon Cruz. Is the heat, you know? What did he say? (laughs) He's just being branded, just going on the internet and saying that I pussied out, and like basically, that's so not punk to give in and change the name. And my whole thing is like, look, dude, like I just want this thing to happen. I've seen the shows you've put on, (laughs) you know? Like, I mean, I'm friends with Brandon. Don't get me wrong, you know? I'm friends with Kyle too, but I mean, you know. I was at the, I played the, the Nardcore 30th anniversary when everybody got pepper sprayed during a control set and then the, or half the bands didn't show up, you know? So I wanted this thing to happen and I wanted to put these bands on the global map and appreciate them for their, and, and solidify their legacy, you know? And a lot of people came from all over the world for the event, you know? And it was just magical. I mean, the first one was fucking magical, you know? Um... And now that tradition's carried on, you know, I stopped it after the third one because I thought you know, there's nothing more to say here, you know. Like I, I went out on top with it. There was nothing you know, there was not, no stone left unturned for me, you know. And then it got, you know, taken over by somebody else and kind of promoted as an art fest, even though it's not. I mean, it's you know, and that's good. That look it, I'm I'm all for it, you know. That should keep going. And but there was no reason for my involvement anymore because I had already done it. Like I had I had I, I didn't want to water it down, you know? I didn't sure. want to, and, you know, and that's exactly what's, what you kind of see happening. It's like less, less attendance every year, you know, because of it's, you lose the, uh, the wow factor.
0: Well, after the year that Retaliate plays, it's kind of reached its, uh, apex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. Hey, Brian, yeah. Oh,
2: dude, <laughs> I love those drops. I love the drops. But anyway, no, you know, I have a, there's a, there's a certain, uh, there's a certain there's something very special about what's happened here, you know, and the history is there, and you know I was glad that I could be a part of it without putting my name on it, you know, and without without performing on it either, you know, sure and just be able to kind of give something back it's it it was all about the bands for me, it was all about the bands. And the people that supported the bands through the years, you know, that are still around
0: doing it, you know? Yeah, I mean the first year was was awesome. And I didn't have a band playing. No. It was just great to go and be there and all the bands got the love. Yeah, it was fucking
2: awesome. So I'm happy we got to put on a quality event and and um like I think it's important and I think it's gonna be remembered and I think it's it's it was it was exactly what what those bands deserve to have, you know? Totally. So Yeah. Cool. I've been well represented, man. Do you think I you gotta could, ask? Did,
0: <laughs> do you, come on, Jeff. Do you, do you feel like you've been well represented? <laughs> I do. But there's a couple more things
2: here. That well, you I, need. I need you to digitize this cassette for
0: me. Ugh, I least, gotta pay to go do demo. that, then. Can't. Oh, the initial distrust demo. Holy there you shit, should, dude. Yeah. I, Actually, Armo does it have the capability. I don't think so. Fuck. That's pretty sick, dude. The so initial distrust demo. That's yeah, something. That's uh. That's
2: um from uh I think Josh Poole or either I was in a band called All Out with Joel Perkins. Okay. And we never played a show. Uh but I think he actually he may have given that to me back at, back in the 90s. But um anyway. Yeah, that's
0: not a good yeah, well, to, initial initial good way to end. <laughs> an, no, uh, hey, initial distress is always a great way to end. Um yeah, this was Todd Jones Todd Jones's band and then uh when he left to join it doesn't matter with me. Then Josh Poole. Was that it, or yeah. was it, were you doing Against All Odds? No, it was. It was well, he, you were doing Against All Odds when Initial Distrust was a band, though, because we played a show together, the three of us, at the Oxnard Armory. Okay, yeah, yeah, well, Initial, yeah, so Todd left Initial Distrust and joined It Doesn't Matter, and then Initial Distrust got Josh Poole, and then Initial right. Distrust stuck around, It Doesn't Matter breaks up, I do Against All Odds, Todd does Last Chance. Last Chance, right. And then the three of our bands played yeah. the Oxnard Armory with right. Burning Dog.
2: There you go. Shout out to uh, Todd Jones, man. Todd was always a good friend of mine growing up and, um, it's pretty cool. Like we, you know, hit each other up every now and again, you know, cause we're kind of in the same world now. team is kicking ass and nails is kicking ass. And so like, uh, it's cool to be like talked about in the same press and publications and shit like that, you know?
0: Um, yeah, yeah, Night Demon kicks ass and Nails like stabs you in the brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nails rips your ass. Yeah, yeah, with a with a rusty hammer. Yeah. Oh know.
2: dude. It's fucking great though, man. I mean, you know, like him doing a song like with Max Cavalera, like them playing on each other's records, like come on, dude, who would have thought about that? And that might know? be their best song.
0: I mean, it's amazing. That song, it's like their newest song is like yeah, the I best one. Oh, but
2: the one that did you hear the one that he was on on the Soulfly record? That was
0: fucking killer, dude. Really? Yeah,
2: it's really. It's not on the last record, but the one before it, um, Archangel, I think, or that that yeah, I think that's the name of the record.
0: I think that's but, an unspoken thing, Jeff, that you don't get enough credit for is. You're a real fan of music.
2: Oh, most definitely. You know,
0: and I think that that's like one of the reasons why, you know, you deserve the success. Thank you. Because, yeah, I mean, you're someone that supports bands. Like, you're talking about going to see the Scorpions every year. Yeah. You're not lying. No. (laughs) Like, you're literally going to see the Scorpions every year, and not because, like,. Oh, I met the I met the fourth drummer one time, and I got to go pay yeah. my dues. You actually oh, want to yeah. go hear them? And
2: dude, I've been home off tour for a week, and I'm about to go again in a couple of days. And I saw Stalag Thirteen twice this week. You know, it's like I'm still there. You know, and I still have a wide knowledge of of punk rock and fucking all kinds of shit. Eighties new wave, fifties. Do du- I mean I'm an ultimate. I'm a fanatic. I'm obsessed with it, man. Yeah, it's like you know? where
0: where the word fan comes from,
2: right? You're a fanatic. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but that's a whole other podcast,
0: I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so you do feel like you've been well represented.
2: I do. You know, you, it's funny. You, you, I've done so many interviews. I've probably done two hundred, three hundred interviews in the last couple of years. And you know, a lot of them. I'm not going to say they're not meaningful, but some of them are just very generic. And you do something like this and you're always going to, like, if I ever were to, I probably won't listen to it, but if I ever did, I would think, you know, or, you know, you always drive home and you're like, God, I should have talked about that. Or God, I should have said something like that. But, um, for the most part, I feel pretty represented. There's a couple bands that, you know, I could have gone, done way more of a deep dive in that were a big part of my history, like No Motive and Hybrid Moments, especially, um,
0: Hey, I'm not above doing but, part twos, dude.
2: Okay. Yeah. No, that's you fine. Know? But, yeah. but, um, but yeah, no, for the most part, I feel well represented, especially because we're sitting here in a hotel room in like, off Channel Islands. That, like, I think the last time I was here, like, we, I think we did a party here after homecoming in like 96 or something, like, because nobody's parents were out of town or something. It was either here or the Casa Serena. I can't remember. RIP, Casa Serena.
0: The Casa yeah. Serena, whatever it is now, is like way too expensive. Yeah. Well, did they
2: did they end up remodeling it or opening it doing something?
0: Yeah, something yeah. else. It's but still it's still there. Anyway, yeah.
2: Also, yeah. I want to give a shout out to everybody, just everybody that was around back in those days, especially in the '90s. You know, there was like it was a it was a very special time for us. We were caught in a in a in a weird. A weird th- way of self-exploration, self-development, and just trying to go out and and create something. I mean, that's the thing. So many people can criticize bands. So many fans can criticize bands. But you know what? Until you have the balls to go out there and create something and get in front of people and get in front of people. You know, when you're in high school, like there's so much goddamn social anxiety you know especially at nard high it's like you you just don't want to be you know every 5 minutes you hear somewhere in the quad oh cuz that's the guy who got shit on by a seagull you know
1: <laughs> you know what
2: i'm saying like you never want to be that guy cuz yeah. that's the that's just like something that you know you're trying to shake all these things and you're trying to be accepted and you're just trying to get through life you know and you're going through you're going through all these things, you know, heartbreak and, and just you're optimistic about the future, but you kind of just don't know who you are yet and know where you're going. And you're trying to find your place. And, um, without music, I don't know if I would have made it past age 30. You know, I don't know if I would have, I would have been able to, to, uh, have something to hope for something to grab onto, you know, and with, with, You know, there's so many of us like that have been friends for so long, and it's really cool to be able to talk about all these these things that we did together. Not just funny stories. I mean, dude, I got tour stories up the ass. I got shit I can't even say on this podcast. But you know, just us. Well, you
0: could. You're disturbed.
2: Actually, one more shout out: Uh, Matt Kuklinski, um, from Riverbottom Nightmare Band and Patient Zero, Mm -hmm. the singer. He was my main main mentor and he taught me how to drive. He worked at the driving school and he would pick me up after second period and we would drive all day for free. One time we went and bought leather jackets and shit. He was always I have to give a shout out to him. He was my number one you know, him and Ray Crevis, you know, they were like my major major old school older mentors then, you know. I think me and Joe Revis and John Crear, I think we were more just we were friends. You know, they never they were they were they always had that patriarchal kind of thing with me but they never like i mean those two those other two guys that i mentioned they really like took me under their wing and spent a lot of time with me and like helping me develop into somebody that was confident enough to 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 go to shows and and to put shows on you know and to just just have enough courage to to make it to make a difference in the scene, you know? So, so with, I do feel well represented and I just want to make sure that everybody else is well represented. Cause there's so many people that, that aren't going to have a voice
0: on this podcast, you know? And, um, well we're doing, uh, we're doing like a thing now where me Joe and Stu get together and we call a bunch of dudes. And right. so, yeah. So like the people that, Might not be able to get, like, a couple hours out of. Right, They can still get a piece. Oh, that's cool. Like, uh, tonight, I mean, I try to not date this stuff, but uh, we're doing, we're trying to document Nardcore 87 and 92. Those are the dark ages, if you want to talk about Yeah, so we're going to call a bunch of people and, and... and get that story out. I mean,
2: out. dude, did anybody even do anything then? Because, I mean, with the old... Oh, olds, funny, I, funny you should ask. Well, I'll I mean, show you Well, this no, I mean, phase. okay, if you... I mean, if, like, with well, ill repute, I mean, you got Transitions. Transitions you, 89. You got um, um, Big Rusty Balls. Not till 93. Oh, that's right, 93? Oh, yeah. shit. Then you have uh, Positive Charge? No.
0: Well, that's a re-release of the demos. Right. well, That's right, the same right. thing that Igby just did. Right, but
2: I know... Okay. But then what else? I mean, the RK, well, so you RKL...
0: RKL's Rock and Roll Nightmare in 1987. But are they Nardcore? Yeah. They'll tell you they're not. Yeah, but they are. Yeah. just like Down Downpressor tries to say they're not, but they are. Yeah, Downpressor greatest narcore band. <laughs> I remember seeing them open for Retaliate at that warehouse down there. A few they're years the fucking ago.
2: shit. Um, but yeah, what else, man? I guess well, you could you you're, you're going to dive into that, so yeah. I don't need to talk about that. But um, yeah, I just want everybody. I want everybody to be represented, man. I want every, there are so many people that were such a big part of this scene. Uh, people that we people, you know, people like Madball, people like. People that we grew up with, that like, hey, maybe if they weren't in a band, like they, it didn't matter. They were the ones fucking starting the pit. They were the ones getting people to go to the shows. Well, yeah, you know?
0: if, if no one showed up, there's no scene. No, you know the people like the unsung. But where he- there is
2: no scene. You have to create it. Yes, you know? but
0: but seriously, the unsung heroes of underground music are the people that show up at the door and pay, and maybe buy a record or a shirt. But the people that aren't always asking to be on the guest list or whatever, right. just, like, show up and pay at the door. And, like, that's how you have a scene. You know, Absolutely. that's that's something that I always try to do now. Um, I never try to flex. I always just show up and pay at the door. Because I'm fortunate enough fortunate enough to be in a situation where I have a, enough money that I can right, pay at the door. right. Right? So, like, I don't – that's kind of a shitty move, in my opinion, to be, like, an established person. And then, like, you're trying to get it for free. It's like, if anything, like, put the kid well, that doesn't – th- if anything, put the kid right. that doesn't, doesn't have, the have the money on the list. Right,
2: right. I mean, I, I think know. in my more recent years, I've been like that. Like, I I'll go to, I'll show up at shows that I know who's putting them on, and I just want to support, you know. Yeah. Except for Iron Maiden, I was on the guest list for Iron, yeah. Iron Maiden. So well, I, I mean,
0: <laughs> I, I, I didn't st- pay no three hundred bucks for that. I still want a wristband <laughs> so I can hang out with my friends backstage, but I want to pay at the door, you know. Like yeah, like the day they announced like the No Motive show, it's like right. I bought tickets online. Good on you. you I know? wish I could be here for that, man. We're gonna be on tour. Well, it, it already happened at this point, point and. Uh, It was really awesome. Yeah. Well, you know (laughs) what's funny
2: is I started rehearsing with the band um, when when this thing started happening because Pat was not going to do it. And I've kind of convinced him to, you know, I'm like, dude, you really need to do this, man. Yeah. Um, So I'm really sad that I'm not going to see it, but it'll be fine. And, you know, hey, maybe it's better I'm not there. You know, like, I mean, I was a part of that era, though. I was, even though I wasn't in the band. I mean, I was definitely the man behind the scenes for
0: a lot of it. Um, well, but I'll, hey. I'll get on stage and choke myself with a bass as a tribute to you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's what you got to do, man. That's what you got to That's That's how I feel, I'll feel represented. <laughs> <Okay. you know? laughs> so, yeah, thanks, man.
0: Right. Um, Thank you. James. All right. Appreciate it.